Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, that was a long day of basketball, wasn't it? I don't know how much hoops you watch, but there were a lot of games out there. College basketball, well, for the tournaments, this is just a huge week, and there's so many, mostly quarterfinal games. Um, some first rounds for the tournaments to finish on Sunday, but mostly they finish on Saturday, so it's quarterfinals. And then there were 11 NBA games on top of it. Uh, 22 of the 30 NBA teams were playing. Jazz were one of the few that was off. Jazz will play the Rockets tonight, their first game back. The Rockets lost their 14th straight game to the Sacramento Kings. Uh, they lost 13 in a row before the break. They come back in Sacramento. They lose. P.J. Tucker uh, didn't want to play. He wants to be traded. He thinks the stuff's moving along too slowly, so he decided to sit out and try to inject a little urgency into the situation. So I expect P.J. Tucker won't play tonight. And Eric Gordon was helped off the court with a non-contact injury. What that means for tonight, my guess is he doesn't play, but, you know, we'll have to see. It's one of those deals where they, you know, probably got in at 2 or 3 in the morning because you're leaving the West Coast after a late game, and they're going to be shorthanded. They've lost 14 in a row. If the Jazz don't win this, I don't know what to tell you. This, this sets up pretty nicely for the Jazz. There's no way around that. Uh, and then as far as the college basketball uh, there were really depressing losses, exhilarating wins, dominant wins, um, encouraging yet demoralizing losses. Uh, everyone will have to put their own spin on it. Uh, the Utes took USC to double overtime, and the freshman Ian Martinez hit two huge free throws after his game-time dunk was wiped away. In the NBA, it could have been continuation of a three-point play, but they said the foul was on the floor before the dunk, so he didn't get his time dunk with two seconds left. So he had to hit two free throws, and a freshman showed no nerves and got up there and made the first and made the second and sent the thing to overtime. And in overtime, uh, Alfonso Plummer <laughs> pulled the trigger on an outrageous three and tied the thing up probably about 30 seconds to go. And that got it to double overtime, at which point the youth had guys fouling out left and right. I lost track of how many guys fouled out, at least three. It was oh, it was crazy how many guys were out. Uh, so they end up losing the game 91-85. And, you know, USC is the better team, and they won the game. And, and they had no answer for, you know, the Trojans' superior talent. Um, Larry Kristoviak said after the game he wants everybody back, all the coaches, all the players. That seems unlikely. That's not how college basketball works. Um, you know, was Timmy Allen going to want to go pro and, and go go make real money, put his name in the NBA draft, and if that doesn't work, go to Europe. Uh, Plummer's a senior, but he does get the bonus year because the clock isn't running this year. And then you got half a dozen foreign guys, and I just think the risk is any given year they can decide, hey, I want to go play pro and be closer to home and make money and, you know, be around my friends and family. So, And then you just have the traditional transfers. So. You know, we'll have to see how this plays out. There's so many questions at this point, and there just isn't a lot of clarity. So we'll see what happens for the Utes. Uh, the depressing loss of the night was Weber State, who, along with Southern Utah and Eastern Washington, those three teams finished the regular season separated by a half game. SUU played one less game, and so they had one less loss, and so they won the regular season. Uh, but any of them could have won the title, and now Weber State can't because they lost to Montana. Oops! Oops! Grizzlies beat them eighty to seventy-five. Grizzlies shoot sixty-one percent from the floor and like forty-two or forty-three percent from three. Survived their nineteen turnovers because they shot the ball so well, and Weber State had an advantage at the free throw line. But it's not enough, so Weber State's out in the quarters. 
I was really disappointed for a Wildcat team that looked like it was playing pretty well. SUU won their game. They're the top seed, so they are into the semifinals. They play at 5 o'clock today, and they will face Montana State in the uh, Big Sky semis. UVU starts in their tournament. They'll play their semifinal tonight against New Mexico State, who won as expected. So they'll meet at 9 o'clock tonight in their semifinal. And Utah State's into their semi. Uh, tied at halftime with UNLV, but a run right before the half, like six straight points to end the half. Again, a terrible offensive start for Utah State. Just terrible. Uh, same thing we saw at Fresno State. And they're sitting on 18 points with a couple minutes left in the half. But they go on the 6-0 run, they tie the game at 24, and then they come out and score like 15 points in four minutes. Just boom. And it was on. It's like, UNLV, are you going to keep up or are you going to get left behind? And the answer to that was... The Rebels are getting left behind. And Utah State just pulled away and completely dominated the game and won, won easily and convincingly. Um, Kata took over and went for 19 and 13. He got off to a slow start again. He didn't score in the first 15 minutes of the game. He got a couple free throws late before halftime. So Utah State moves along. And we'll hear from Craig Smith after the win uh, coming up. So that is where the college hoops stands. Now, Spring football, uh, the youth start on Monday, and we're going to hear from Kyle Whittingham Monday morning at 8 a.m. So that'll be good for us uh, and good for you because you'll get to hear those uh, live as he meets with the media. And uh, BYU met with the uh, media, and they had their, uh, their Zoom interviews. And Fessy Sataki uh, is now the passing game coordinator. He's worked with the receivers. Before that, he was at Weber State. It seems like he's an up-and-comer. I mean, you never really know how a coaching career is going to go. They're wildly unpredictable, but – Man, if you had to bet on, is Fessy going to be interviewed a lot more 10 years from now? I think the answer is yes. Um, so we'll see how this trends for him. But here he is with the media, Fessy Sataki, talking BYU football. You get a jump on on the hot seat. So you get the first, you get the question about how spring's going to this point to start off. Just talk about, you know, where the team's at right now. First off, this is a hot seat. Who is just sitting in here? Zo. Okay, yeah. Makes <laughs> sense. Uh, spring is going great. Uh competition on both sides of the ball. There's no one practice where a side just completely dominates um, from beginning to end, which is the sign of a well-rounded competitive team. And um, I've been really pleased, you know, just with both sides. And But offensively speaking, um, we've been able to maintain pretty solid health. There's a lot of execution, you know, obviously there's holes and voids that we need to fill. And, and there's some young guys who have been stepping up and, and, and filling those, those holes. And so it's been, it's been, been really good to see you guys are having fun, a lot of energy out there. And that's really what you want around this time of year. I wanted to ask big picture as though this, and I want to get your thought as a coach as well. It's been a year, crazy year, probably the most insane year any of us could have pictured. So when you reflect, what do you think about? Just how lucky and, um, you know, we were to be able to have a season, um, to be able to be on a national scale when so many teams this side of the country weren't playing we were kind of that, that beacon of light for football and, and kept, kept hope out there that you can still, you can still have a season and, and uh, get provide, you know, these boys, what they all are, you know, want to do, which is play football and provide fans who want to see um, It's just, it was really fun. really blessed and grateful. It's one of these, those memories, those seasons that you'll never forget, not just because of the, the success and the turnout, but those circumstances, um, you know, that we, that we were playing under and just the way it was all able to turn out. So, so we'll forever be grateful for that and still, still riding on a high from that. Go ahead, Mitch. Yeah, Fessy, uh, you guys recently just got some commitments out of the transfer portal. I don't know if you can speak officially yet. I don't think you guys have announced, but uh, I mean, when do you expect uh, any sort of official announcement? 
Yeah. Well, until things, you know, I, Kalani mentioned it the other day, um, you know, recruitment, we're always going to be recruiting and it's obviously clear that there's, there's, you know, mutual interest out there, but yeah, until things are, are official, you know, we can't really speak, speak to, to, uh, in too much depth, um, on that. So it's, it's kind of the same message. Like we're recruiting guys, we can confirm recruitment and interest. Uh, but until, you know, certain papers and are signed and things are official, we can't really talk too much about it. Understood. Uh, with, with, uh, wanted to follow up, how's the chemistry been on the offensive staff with you and, and coach A-Rod being elevated, uh, into heightened roles? How, how do you feel this has gone with, with your new role and, and coach A-Rod now leading the offense? It's been awesome. I, I feel it's been a seamless transition. Um, it's cool. We got a lot of, even though we lost a lot of experience, we, uh, the guys still know this offense very, very well collectively. And so it's allowed us as coaches to really focus on the nuances of each, you know, play that, you know, instead of creating new plays, we've been able to find creative ways to dress up, you know, what we're already good at, what we've proven to be good at, find different ways to, to cause mismatches, um, highlight certain personnel. Um, that's kind of the next jump you know, we feel we need to take. And, and I think that it's been really cohesive amongst all of us on the offensive staff and the players are latching onto it. And, and I like where we're at right now. Go ahead, uh, Jake and Jared. Yeah, Fessy, when we talked to Isaac last week, he mentioned two names of wide receivers that were standing out to him and Hobbs Nyberg and Cade Moore. If I'm not mistaken, both of them are walk-ons. Can you speak a little bit to what they're doing that apparently impressed Isaac and what your thoughts are on them? Yeah, I think the first thing when people comment and and say names of guys who are sticking out, the thing that sticks out is plays that are made. And and uh, some guys get more opportunities than others, but those guys have been making plays. When the ball comes their way, they're taking advantage of those opportunities. And though they might not be getting as much reps as you know as many reps as some of the guys in front of them, when they're on the field, they're taking advantage. And I think that's why um, they're sticking out uh, to some of these guys. But they're both, you know you have so much respect for, um, you know, everyone on our team, but these guys who are, who are paying their own way and just, you know, love, they're just proof that, that they love football and that their motive is because they enjoy playing football and they're not driven by the scholarship. And I think most of the guys on our team are, are great with that stuff. But the reality is, is when you're a walk on your backs against the wall and you're, you're just clawing. And those two are, are, are perfect examples. And I'll add in Talmadge Gunther in that as well of guys who are just consistently showing up every day and they bring the same attitude, the same energy, and they just go out and have fun and make plays. And I think a lot of that's resonating with a lot of the guys on the team. You obviously now have that passing game coordinator title. I wanted to get your read on the four quarterbacks who are dueling for this for to replace Zach. Yeah, re- really good competition. I mean, Coach Rod's uh, distributing those reps, um, you know, as evenly as he can. Um, you know, you obviously got <clears throat> true freshman and, and uh, Jacob, who's this first time he's really really played football in this offense. He was able to play scout team last year, but he's doing a great job. Baylor and Jaron are two most. Uh, experienced proven guys um, I feel are just constantly getting better every day, shaking. Everyone's got a little bit of rust, you know, including quarterbacks. Um, and then Sol Jay's done a great job as well. And just the reps he's getting, it's been a really fun competition to watch play out. I'm excited to see just kind of as the last two weeks unfold, who continues to succeed and emerge. Um, and I know coach Rod will, will, uh, will do a great job managing uh, that room. Tessie, I wanted to ask about how making determinations and as passing game coordinator, this kind of extends probably to the, to the, the quarterback spot as well as, you know, as far as your receivers and everything, you know, um, Kalani has said he wants the players to make it hard 
and that's what they're doing, which he likes. When it comes down to splitting those hairs, how much do you look at analytics? How much of it is experience? How much, I mean, kind of, how do you, how does, how do those decisions get made when, when you have to make the tough calls? Sorry. Can you, can you kind of, uh, Expound on that. I just want to make sure yeah. I answer this right. Yeah, just, just I'm just wondering what you look at when you're trying to decide who's going to get reps on gotcha. the field. You know, and you know, wide receivers, you get a few more guys than a quarterback, but yeah, yeah. you know, still trying to what what do you look at to to make those decisions about who's going to be getting reps when game time rolls around? Yeah, I got you. Okay, uh, there, there's a a couple things. The first one is the reality. This is a production oriented business. If you can produce. Um, when you're on the field and, and you can prove that you know where to align, you know what your assignment is and you can execute it and you can do that on a consistent basis, that more than anything is what's going to you know help us make that final decision. Well, then you factor in um, the physical skill set that these guys have, the ability. What, what do they have that maybe the next guy in line, you know, doesn't have as much of, whether that be size, speed, strength, the um, you know, intellect, their ability to understand spatial awareness. I mean, there's a lot of different things, you know, by position. And so I think to me, that's kind of the orders just first, do these guys produce on a consistent basis? Second, what do they bring to the table that maybe someone else doesn't bring as much of? And then it's up to us as coaches to kind of insert those guys into, you know, those, those slots on the offense where, you know, we can capitalize on whatever that is. All right. Let's finish up with Jay and Mitch. Yeah. Fessy, you, you touched on soul Jay a little bit there. I just wondered, How's he coming along as far as the non-football elements of being a freshman at BYU? Great. You know, he's one of the uh, most liked guys on our team. Is a great personality, and I think that's something that just no matter who you are, what position you play, it keeps you going. It keeps you coming out fresh with purpose to practice. You don't get caught up in the rut of things. And I think that's, that's kind of where he fits. He's just he's very comfortable here. Um, and that transitions into the football. I know you didn't ask about that specifically, but um, I just think it's a clear sign. Just the way the guys, you know, respond to him and, and are around him is, is he's in a really good place. And so I, he's, he's been a great asset to our team. Yeah. Fessy, uh, what, uh, what decision, if, if any, will you have or involvement will you have in the final uh, decision for quarterback, wh- whenever that may be, uh, wh- what involvement will you have with, with Roderick when it comes to that decision? It, you know, I don't, I don't know. It completely falls on him, but one thing he's always been great at since he's been here um, is including everyone and, and allowing us to voice our opinions and the reasons uh, why. Um, but, you know, he gets that ultimate call and uh, he's done as he's done with a lot of things. He's just been able to ask, you know, ask me question and pick my brain. It's just one of the humbling things about being here. I think these coaches, all of them are, are so inclusive and, and genuine and, and trying to get feedback um, and I think that's one of the reasons in the end why we're able to make what we think are the right decisions um, because we're factoring a lot more than just our own. So um, I don't know, you know, how he's going to use me, but I wouldn't be surprised if he asks me and every other offensive coach what our opinion is. And I know he'll, it will be uh, newly noted for, by him. Last thing for me, uh, what, do you guys have like a, like a slogan or kind of thing you're, that's a motivational thing for this season? I know in the past there's been like, iron sharpens iron or things along those lines. Do you have anything uh, as a team that you guys have chosen for the 2021 season? Not yet right now in spring, it's kind of just, uh, you know, we're trying to answer, get a lot of questions answered and have fun and bring energy, but maybe going into the fall, a rod might have something or we might discuss it as no staff, but, but uh, kind of like the RVO last year that, 
Jeff Grimes implemented that. I know he took to Baylor now. We don't we don't have anything like that, um, but we might in the fall. There is Fessy Sataki talking BYU football. We're going to take a break. Going to come back. You're going to hear from Craig Smith after the Aggies get the convincing win over UNLV in Las Vegas. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, we are down to the semifinals now in the... Pac-12 tournament, in the Mountain West tournament, in the Big Sky tournament, in the WAC tournament. <laughs> Got a lot going on. Utes are out in the Pac-12 tournament after losing a double overtime. Gutsy performance against SC, but uh, too much Evan Mobley. 26 points, 9 boards. He knocked him out. Weber State, wow, Montana, shoot, Montana shoots the ball really well and knocks Weber State out of the Big Sky quarterfinals, 80-75. to Um for UVU, they had a buy into the semis. They're playing New Mexico State tonight. New Mexico State won their quarterfinals expected, so they'll play at 9 o'clock tonight. And then there's the Utah State Aggies, who got off to another slow offensive start. But, again, great defense. Kept them in the game. And then the offense got started cranking up right before halftime and was lights out good in the second half. And they pull away and blow UNLV off the court. Just pull away and hide. Um, dominant performance by them. Not, not a great 15, 18 minutes to open the game offensively, but Late in the half, they got it rolling, and then they were fine. Here's Craig Smith, the head coach, after the game. Let's go to the podium as Marco, Anthony, and Craig Smith addressing the media. You know, the, the meeting in the second half was about you know, taking it up another notch, and we did that, and that led us to the win against a very talented team. Coach? Yeah, echo Marco's thoughts. You know, Obviously, a little bit of a slow start and kind of a root canal for both teams on the offensive end. I thought both teams defended really well, 24-24 at half. Um, I thought our guys did a great job of self-correcting and, um, and really played connected in that second half. We cleaned up the offensive end. You know, the first half we had eight turnovers, second half two turnovers, and first half five assists, second half 13 assists. And so I thought we played with a lot more purpose, and we just settled in. You know, you forget that, you know, UNLV played last night, and, and it's obviously their home arena, different floor, but home arena. And um, sometimes, you know, they have a comfort level that way. And we got a lot of guys that have never played in this tournament. And I just thought we showed some, um, I don't know what the right word is, tentativeness or just didn't execute some things the way we normally do. And we really, really settled in that second half. And Marco had a, a heck of a game in every facet. I mean, uh, and that's what he does, you know, uh, 15 points and 13 rebounds, six of those offensive and five assists. And uh, he's such a dynamic player. Obviously, his name to the first team, all defensive team. And I know he takes a lot of pride in that. And I thought he did a heck of a job on the defensive end again tonight, as our whole team did. I thought it was a really balanced attack um, on both sides of the ball. And so we're happy to win and survive in advance at this type of year, at this time of year. And uh, we're looking forward to playing another game tomorrow, whether it's against Fresno State or Colorado State. All right. And we'll open it up for questions from Marco. <clears throat> Yeah, Marco, this is Alex Fehar with the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, you know, as a team, it uh, seems like lately you guys have kind of had interesting first first halves and then been able to kind of turn it up 
um, in the second half happened against Wyoming and it happened against Fresno State and obviously tonight. Um, you know, are you guys at all maybe concerned about maybe the slower first halves right now and having to pick it up in the second half? Or is that something maybe you felt like you can rely on because you know you can? Um, well, of course, there's a concern, but I believe it's something that, you know, it's not set in stone. It's something that we could fix, and it's just a matter of time before we do that. Anything else for Marco? Hey, Marco, can you just talk about the rebounding tonight? You, you really, this is Sean from the Herald Journal, sorry. You really crashed the board tonight. It seemed like you and Nimi were in a contest out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I had to redeem myself after I missed the dunk and tried to, you know, catch it and throw it back down. So, I yeah. I forgot about that, Marco. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> That was bad. Uh, coincidentally, that was Marco Anthony's first technical foul of his entire career. Yep. Uh, Marco, can you hear me? Al Lewis, KBNU. Can I ask you a question about uh, the save you made at the one end and flipped it back? That was one of the most unbelievable plays of the year, and you blocked the shot, then went and saved it. Can you replay that in your mind and what you did on that play? Um, you know, three was really getting loose a little bit, and, uh, you know, a shooter like him, uh, that's one that likes to stop and pop it in transition, and he tried to do that. And, you know, a big thing we preach here is Gata. Um, and so, yeah, that was just a, a Gata play. Marco, this is Jeff Hunter from the Desert News. Can you just talk a little bit about the start of that second half? You had those two threes and a layup and that great pass to Bean down on the baseline. Yeah, we just had to we just had to get things going and, you know, um, when we play connected, that's when we play at our best. And I really felt like, you know, the second half, we started to really do that. And it showed on the scoreboard. Marco, Alex, again, um, what was the message to Brock Miller at halftime? He struggled. Um, I think it was 0 for 4 in the first half. And then he kind of came out, made a couple big threes. You know, it's just, you know, he's such a great shooter. Is just keep shooting. Because if he stops, if he starts thinking about it, then, you know, that's going to, that's going to hurt us a little bit. So, you know, he puts the work in and, and, you know, so he deserves that, that he could just keep shooting and we believe in him. We trust in him. We're never going to look him off and, you know, go the other way. Cause you know, he's a guy that could really hit shots and he's proven that and he proved that in the second half. Last question for Marco. If someone has one. Hey Marco, this is Sean from the Herald journal. How, how big was it? Or what did it mean to you to be named defensive on the all defensive team? What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Oh, it meant a lot, you know, especially being the only guard um, on that list that just really, you know, showed that what I do on a game-to-game basis, it's it's really um, gathering attention and, you know, so it's very, very humbling and I just feel honored to be a part of that, that prestigious list. Questions for Coach now? Yeah, Coach um, Alex Dehar with the with the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, I was hoping that we... Alex, Alex, you always have the most comfortable seat. It looks like <laughs> don't make jokes when everybody's on Ted Bond. Anyway, sorry. Uh, um, I, I'm curious to just kind of if you can address the uh, the second half kind of thing. Is that a, is from a coaching standpoint? Is that are the slow first halves a concern for you right now, or, or are you okay with it because you guys seem to find another gear in the second half, especially? 
Well, it's definitely, you know, it's always a concern when you're, you're struggling. At the same time, I had, we as a coaching staff, I think, had to take a step back. And you, you demand more um, out of your guys. At the same time, you, you, you got to understand. Like, I thought we competed hard. You know, listen, we've lost the three teams in league play, UNLV, Colorado State, and Boise State. And so these guys, these guys, you know, these guys were picked fourth in, in the regular, in, in the preseason for a reason. They're really talented. They're a good defensive team. And so they make it difficult on you. You know, their center is a, uh, is a big time defensive player. They're long and athletic and they cause some issues. And so at the same time, when you take a step a step back, I thought we, you know, Nimi missed some uncharacteristic shots early in that game, and then I thought he was just kind of playing a little fast, um, where uh, where he was making a move and his counter move was was wide open. Um, you know, Marco missed a couple of easy ones. He makes a you know he gets six offensive boards. I remember one of them he got. He was literally right on the basket. Nobody was in three feet of him. Thought he could have just went up and scored, and we kick it out. And, um, and Fonz missed a couple chip shots around the basket. And so I thought we got pretty good. And then we had some kind of some crazy turnovers, you know, where it's just like, what are we doing? And, and you know, we've gotten a lot better from that respect. And we just had to settle down and trust ourselves and go play basketball. And, and it helps. You know, you forget Brock Miller hasn't played in two weeks. And he hasn't done anything live except for four games in about a month or close to it. So it took him some time to settle in. You know what I mean? Like it takes a little time and, and, um, and it's hard to be realistic as a coach, but I just had to step back and say, okay, here's where we're at type of thing. And I, can't, I give our guys a ton of credit. We were able to self-correct, um, really settled in. Uh, and I thought we had all three phases going. You know, we defended real, at a high level all night long. And sometimes when your offense isn't going well, teams – We'll stop guarding as hard. And I thought we made life difficult on those guys. I mean, those guys put a lot of pressure on you. And I, I mean, UNLV as a team, but Caleb Grill sticks a, what, a 25-footer can, when I think it was Brock was all over, maybe it was Raleigh. Then he nails another one. Um, and David Jenkins had 33 on us, you know, a month ago. And, and of course, uh, Hamilton's an elite scorer and got four quick ones to start the game. So is it a concern? I mean, it's always a concern. At the same time, it was exciting to see us figure some things out, and hopefully we can continue that momentum into tomorrow. Okay, there's the Aggies head coach, Craig Smith. When we come back, Joe Ingles is talking jazz. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. It is time to hear from the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Ingles. Joe joined us uh, late in yesterday's show. And as always, we want you people to hear all about NASCAR, all about Urson Ilyasova, and all about the All-Star break. Here's Joe Ingles on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hey, yeah! This is The Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... 
and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, you had the all-star break. You had time with Renee and the kids. You got to put your feet up a little bit, mentally get away from hoops. So I just wondered if you're feeling good after all of that, refreshed, revitalized, ready to go. Yeah, I mean, it's. I went in and uh, worked out yesterday, and Dennis was there and asked how I felt, and I was like, if we could have all-star break like once a month, I'd be, I'd be able to play forever. So, um, no, it's, it's obviously nice to um, probably kind of get away for a little bit, spend some time with the family. Like I said um, last week, I felt like uh, Jack's three months now and I feel like I um, have barely seen him or spent any time with him. So just to, to be with Renee and the kids and, and hang out a little bit and, um, yeah, like I said, kind of, kind of switch off for a minute. So for you, uh, being 33 years of age, what's more important, a physical or mental rest? Uh, probably both. <laughs> um, uh, I think, like I've said before, I, I know my body obviously now and, and kind of what I need to do and, and what I don't need to do when I need to take a break or whatever. And um, but I, I think just the, the schedule we've got and with everything else in place, with the, the testing and all that that goes on this year, mentally it has been a bit more draining. Um, we've been testing all over the place. On the road, we have to test at like 11, 12 o'clock at night as the last test. When we're at home, we have to drive back in the, the evening and test every night. And so just the, the, obviously it's, um, there's, a, there's a, lot, a lot worse going on in the world, but, but obviously for us, it's a bit different. So yeah, just a a nice break from from both of them um still went into the the gym we stayed in utah the whole time so still went into the gym a couple of times and got some some lifts in and some workouts and some shots up and stuff so um first practice back tonight um so yeah we'll be, be ready to go so do you have one hard practice break a sweat go five on five go at it a little bit to really get back into it or your veterans, and that would be a waste of time and energy, and Quinn would never do that. How does that work? No, nah, well, I well, I don't know uh, what Quinn's thinking most of the time, but um, I would I would say we would do something kind of pretty intense tonight just to get after a little bit. I think having a, a more veteran team, I think guys know what they needed to do during the break to, to stay ready um, and to be ready for, for Friday. Um, but I think regardless of what everyone was doing, still to get to, together on the court, play some five and five, actually get up and down a little bit, I think it would be, be good for our group. So we, we've done that every every time um, since I've been here for, for Quinn's seven years. So I assume we would do something. Um, obviously, as a team, we'll get some shots up, probably get a little a lift in, get a sweat up, like you said, get up and down a little bit and um, get into some recovery before obviously playing tomorrow. So going forward here, man, you guys got a slew of games. I mean, you, for the next three weeks at least, and I haven't looked beyond that, you got four games each of those three weeks apiece. 
Uh, how is it going to be physically, that veteran ball club, to make sure that you guys can find some ways to stay fresh? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously as a as a player in the team, as a competitor, you, you, want, you want to be out there as much as possible um, and, and play as much as possible. Um, I think the benefit of our group is is the depth we've got and, and obviously adding Urson, Urson as well. Um, we're, we're a deep team, so I feel like there's, there's probably times that, that Quinn will, I don't know if he'll rest guys or, or what will happen, but um, yeah, just just be smart with it because obviously we've we've started off well, we've we've got a good record at the moment and all that, but we we obviously need to keep it going. But we flip side of that, we we need to be fresh and kind of ready for the playoffs too. So uh, you, we, we obviously still want to win games and and be playing the right way, the way we want to play. But um, I have no doubt at some point guys will be in and out a little bit. Obviously, there's there's injuries and and all that as well. So. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be smart about it. We've got a, a great uh, performance healthcare team that'll that'll kind of be on top of that, and we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. But uh, I think as a as a player, you want to be out there as much as you can. You mentioned the performance healthcare team, and uh, that involves a lot of people doing a lot of different things. I don't think fans know how complete and thorough a team that is. Part of that. Um, the massage therapy you go you go through, and a guy I only knew a little bit, but he was always really nice to talk to, and a guy you knew really well, Doug Brell passed away during this uh, All-Star break. He's only 51, and I understand he had cancer and all that, and we just see from how many guys, not just current players, but former players, uh, were on social media. That, that hit everybody pretty hard, didn't it? Yeah, it was uh, obviously... Oh, it's, I mean, it's tough to, to talk about because it's so fresh and, and new. Um, but yeah, he, he was battling cancer for a little while and um, got himself back and, and ready for the, the bubble, which I think for for him now, I know kind of what's happened this, this past few days. I, I think the bubble experience for him um, would have been something really special just to be with our group and he he did have to battle back just to be healthy enough to come to that. So I think for, for him to, to get that experience um, with, with our group, and like you said, he, he was he was such a big part of our group. He was kind of that glue guy off the court, I, I would say. He, he'd been here for, for 21 years with the Jazz, um, I think three or four years before that, with just Carl and, and John, who hired him as a, as a private massage therapist, and then he got brought on with the Jazz in 99, I think. So... Um, unbelievable guy, um, which, I mean, as long as I'm here, and I, I think as long as anyone that's a part of the Jazz, I think they'll, they'll always, Doug, Doug will always be talked about. Everyone that ever plays for the Jazz from now on will, will always know about him. And, um, yeah, just a, obviously extremely, extremely sad day because, I mean, I was FaceTiming him a, a week ago, whatever it was, talking to him and, and, no hints of, of him feeling any worse or anything. Um, he would always be that, that positive guy, no matter, obviously, how he was feeling. So um, walking into to his massage room will, will always will always be different now. Um, will always feel different. Um, but like I said, he'll... I mean, me personally, but I know the Jazz won't as well. He'll never be forgotten around here. Um, he was a, a pretty integral part of, of our group, so... Um, sad day for for all of Jazz 
fans and obviously the inner inner sanctum that, that really knew him. Um, and obviously to, to Melissa, his wife, and his three daughters that will uh, will always be here to, to support her and and, her, and his girls and, and anything they need. So um, yeah, tough a tough week for, for for all of us. Have you had any interaction with uh, Ilyasova along the way? Um, I did hear you knuckleheads talking about um, <laughs> someone asking a European if they knew him and. Figure that every European yeah. knows yeah, everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I've been asked like, oh, you know, John from Australia, right? <laughs> there's twenty three million people in Australia. Like, no, I don't know John from Wollongong in Australia. Um, but no, I, I mean, I, I I've known, obviously known of him. I've kind of brief interactions um, with him. Uh, we. We both played for, for Barcelona for a little bit there, not together, but so there's, there's a little bit of that. But um, yeah, obviously a, a good player that for, for whatever reason didn't didn't have a job up to now and did. I mean, I think what goes unnoticed a little bit is he he did have a fairly decent contract that was going to be guaranteed when he got traded to Sacramento for Bogdanovich and the trade fell through and then they needed Milwaukee needed that money for other other guys so um yeah just a a a really good fit for us i think you know my wife uh was in california and went to grad school in chicago and literally got asked (laughs) you're from california she's from montana do you know each other are you kidding me crazy yeah yeah people on the east coast no idea uh, Joe, the other thing we need to ask you about is that uh, we couldn't help but notice in the middle of the All-Star break that you started a NASCAR race in Las Vegas and looked like you might have done it from an office in Utah. You a big NASCAR fan? What was going on there? <laughs> um, it wasn't from anywhere in Utah. I actually did the video on the road one trip um, for... The for yeah for for the for the NASCAR race so um, yeah it was I mean it was something I probably never thought I'd do I didn't really know I, I the only thing I probably regret is I didn't watch any previous ent- ent- like video entries of how to how they started and there was obviously some much more passionate videos than mine <laughs> but I just didn't know it was something I'd uh, I never knew or never thought I'd do so I didn't really I. So I, I do regret that, not not kind of doing a bit more research. But, um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um, I had a lot of messages about it, and, um, yeah, it was something, something cool to do. So one-year anniversary of everything coming to a halt when you guys were in OKC. You got any memories that you want to share? Um, I mean, it was, yeah, I don't know, pretty... I guess it's been a pretty crazy 12 months if you think about it. Um, we had probably just kind of, or we were probably heading to shoot around now, more or less, or during shoot around and figured we were going to be playing a regular game like we had for X amount of games before that. And um, yeah, and then obviously everything kind of happened. So um, I think the hardest, the hardest part, the saddest part is kind of how many people and businesses and individuals have, have lost jobs or, or companies and businesses have either shut down or, or lost a lot of business. And um, I was kind of joking and 
Renee was kind of laughing, but kind of upset. So, like, she, she literally hasn't left the house in 12 months. Like, it's with obviously the NBA stuff and the protocols and, and obviously three kids and, and prior to this being pregnant and all that. Um, she literally has not left the house for anything. <laughs> like, so um, they're, they're the parts I kind of think about that are, that obviously hurt and are, and are sad. And um, yeah, been a, it's been a crazy 12 months. It's hopefully it's we're obviously in a lot better place now than where we were 12 months ago or, or six months ago. So hopefully, if the vaccine keeps keeps calm and people keep doing that, people people keep being smart with with masks or whatever the the rules are, hopefully soon we can uh, go back to some sort of normalcy and feel free again. That'd be good. I think you can get a lot of people to second that. Can you can you explain to people how different the NBA lifestyle is than it was a year ago? How much everything has changed for you guys? Because people see you playing the games without fans, but I don't know how much they know behind the scenes how different things are. Oh, it's... It's not, and it's almost. We were kind of joking with our rookies of like, you'll actually have to re- redo your rookie year next year because <laughs> there's nothing they can they can do or we can do or we can't even make them do anything for us because there's nothing to do. So, um, no, it's it's. I, I like you said. I, I think the crowd is the obvious one, which is still, it's still different. Like, I think the weirdest part is like, especially for for jazz fans or for for the for our team, we. I think we were one of the first to have fans. We upped our fans probably first as well. Um, so we are pretty used to kind of having fans in the arena. So when we go to other arenas and they don't, that's that's different for us because we're, we're probably more used to it than a lot of other teams. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously not a, a normal year we could... I mean, if you're at home, you can obviously kind of do whatever you want. We can go to restaurants. We can go to... Utah Utes game, you can go to football game, like whatever you want to do, it's it's normal living. Um, obviously now, I don't even know exactly what the rules are, but we're not allowed to really do anything with going out to eat in like an enclosed area. So I think we could. I think I I, I had I don't even go out to eat, so I haven't really read the rules. But I think you can go out to eat if it's outdoors and you like six feet away from people. Um, on the road is probably the biggest changes. Um, just because you would normally fly into a city and guys would have family or friends or whoever, the other team, um, someone you know, and, and go and catch up and have dinner. Or um, I would go to see, go have dinner at Paddy Mills' house um, if we flew into San Antonio and vice versa. So literally on the road, we're, we're not allowed to leave that room. So if we order food, it has to be either room service or Uber Eats. Um, obviously can't do any like seeing any people we, we test twice sometimes three times in a day depending on the time of the game um, so it's yeah it's extremely different it's not like a, <laughs> there's a lot of times that we would land in a city and, and I wouldn't see my teammates until a shoot around um, guys have like I said family friends whatever it is they might be from that city and go home for the night or whatever it is so um, yeah really different but again kind of is what it is at this point until we figure out um, more vaccines or or whatever the the best way um, to be able to move forward. But, um, yes, it's crazy. But 
it is what it is. I, I again, I can't complain. We can't complain. We we're still getting paid a stupid amount of money to to throw a basketball around, whether there's a thousand people in the gym, ten thousand, or, or no fans. So, um, yeah, can't complain too much. So as you manage this boredom when you're on the road, has it maybe helped concentration in terms of basketball or not at all? I think you get a, a bit of both. It's um, Obviously, you can concentrate you more and all that because there's nothing to do. Also, the, the boredom, kind of the boredom part of it, like guys probably watching games more, overanalyzing performances more a little bit because I, I know I used to do that a lot when – but like prior to Renee and the kids or when Renee would go home for the second half of the season, I would finish a game. And this was in Europe too, like finish a game and then um, I would go home and if I'd played bad or whatever, I'd be watching the game and kind of in my own head a little bit about what, what I've done wrong or what I what I need to do. Like, and you, for me, which I've, I mean, we've spoken about it before, but for me, like, the best feeling is going home to Renee and the kids and trying to get to sleep as soon as possible or, or Renee telling me stories about what happened at dinner or bedtime with the kids or, or whatever and kind of completely, for, for me anyway, kind of zoning away from that. Um, uh, I think for me personally, it's, it's been a big reason of, of my play and what I've been able to kind of just focus on when I'm in the gym, I'm I'm locked in and I'm all there. But then when I'm away from it, it's complete opposite. I don't think about basketball. I don't really talk about basketball. And um, so I think guys will be different. Some guys will, like I know Donovan is a massive basketball watcher. Like he, he will watch every game, college, NBA. He'll have three screens in his room watching different sports and all that. Where I watched Married at First Sight with Renee last night. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of COVID, we understand you have to go get tested, so we need to let you go. The machine marches on. The machine keeps grinding. It never blinks. It never sleeps, Joe. It did. We were testing the whole All-Star break. I'm currently sitting out in front of the practice facility where probably about 80% of our team is here about to get tested and then go home for the day and come back and practice tonight when we get our results. There you go. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for a window into your world. Congrats on your NASCAR debut. Next time you do it, you can just really start screaming and hollering. I know. If I, well, if I ever get an invite back, which I probably won't because I don't know how many fans, I'll, I think it was uh, someone did it the next day and they sent it. Someone tweeted it to me like, this is how it's supposed to be done. And he was like on the stage screaming. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So if I ever get another chance, NASCAR, if you ever give me another chance, I promise it'll be better. Okay. All right, Joe, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. There's Joe Ingles on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, college basketball tournaments, the Aggies, the Utes, the T-Birds, the Wildcats. We'll get to it all next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. My my first practice today, I see, you know, it's a group, a great group of guys. You know, I mean, uh, the communication is there, you know, they trust each other. 
And uh, I really, I watched the games even before that, you know, and uh, I think the way they play, you know, the chemistry and the high level. So I think like this is the part of the, you know, the team kind of when you're moving forward, you know, and I think, uh, you know, this is the great opportunity, you know, and uh, when you see it with the way they play, you know, share the ball, move the ball, you know, kind of everybody kind of back each other. And I think this is what it takes to win championship. That's Ursanilia Silva there in his first practice and his first impression of the Jazz. Saying all the right things, PK. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I would expect that. He's a veteran. Uh, he knows what he's getting into. 13 years in the league, I think we said yesterday. So, absolutely. And he'll just come and try to find his way and see what uh, Quinn Snyder has in store for him and go from there. And Quinn Snyder would like to see how he produces and then he'll know better what he has in store for him. So, it all starts tonight. Jazz and the Rockets. Rockets went into the break with a 13-game losing streak, and they made it 14 straight losses with a decisive 125-105 defeat to the Sacramento Kings. P.J. Tucker didn't play, apparently won't play tonight, apparently won't ever play again for Houston. He, uh, he wants to be traded ahead of the deadline and seems to be intent on injecting a little urgency into everything. And then Eric Gordon got hurt, got helped off the court with a non-contact injury. So what's left of the Rockets showing up tonight to play the Jazz? Should be an easy win. That's what it should be. It's what it looks like. 8 o'clock tonight. Pre-game will start at 7 here on The Zone with Jake and uh, Tim Lacombe and then uh, David Locke with a call at 8. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Nets control. Hard to the front court. Out on the left side. Irving's got it. Long three. Bang! He knocked it down! Oh, Kyrie from way behind the arc! 12 to shoot. Devin on the left side. Spots up for three and hits nothing but the bottom of the net, giving the Suns a 10-point lead with under five minutes left to go. Here's a steal by Giannis. He breaks away. Slams it with two hands. A steal. A dunk for the MVP. Blue top of the key. Three to shoot. Pump fake. Two dribbles. Outside Leonard. Right wing three. A deep one. Oh, yeah. Gooey Leonard. Big time delivery as the shot clock expires. Trey drives. He gets run into. He gets it back outside. Three-pointer, Tony. Bang! And the Hawks have won! The Atlanta Hawks have come back and won! Tony Snell hits a three at the buzzer. And the Hawks win this thing. 121 to 120. All right, there's some highlights from around the league. The games that matter most to Jazz fans. One of those early highlights, you heard the Phoenix Suns beating the Blazers. Devin Booker goes for 35. Damian Lillard's 30 isn't enough. Blazers get beat by the Suns 127 to 121. And the Clippers blow out the Warriors 130 to 104. Top four teams in the West combined to lose 47 games before the break, PK. Why do I feel like you should take the under on the second half of the season? These teams are really going to get rolling now. A little more urgency, and the teams at the bottom, maybe a little give up. I can't answer your feelings. That's something that you're just going to have to come to grips with on your own. What kind of a partner are you? Come on! I mean, because your feelings are so complex and so deep, it's hard for me to get down there to the root cause of the issue. How about the top portion of the league is really going to beat the snot out of the bottom portion of the league right now, and the Jazz would better be on their game because everybody else is going to be on their game. You know, I'm not so sure about the bottom portion, how much snot they have in them to be able to beat the snot out of them. What does that mean? All right, I give up. 
You win. Don't ever give up. You win. Don't ever give up. Right. Don't ever give up. <laughs> Don't ever give up. Jimmy They're Valvano. telling me I've got uh, I've got five minutes and, and and I'm lit up like a Christmas tree. Fanabla. Don't ever give up. Other NBA scores of interest to note. Those were the very shorthanded 76ers, and it didn't matter. Seven guys in double figures. Dwight Howard coming off the bench to give them 18 and 12, and the Sixers beat the Bulls 127 105. No Embiid, no Simmons, no problem. They win again. That's the Knowles they beat if you look closely. I, I just overlooked <laughs> that and cleaned that up for Yach. I know he likes to put some typos in there to see, see what he can get me to say, but. Seven for seven. That is the number this year. We had uh, Barcelo uh, made that George Niang, and now Tony Bradley. I got to admit, I did not know Tony Bradley was on the 76ers, and he went seven for seven as a starter because they kept Dwight Howard on in his bench role. So Tony Bradley sighting. I knew the Jazz never should have got rid of him. Ah, aha. And you heard the dramatic game winner from Tony Snell, right wing, three at the buzzer. Atlanta beats Toronto 121-120. to 120. Nets didn't have, uh, didn't have a big guy. No Kevin Durant. Didn't matter. They beat the Celtics 121-109. Kyrie Irving scoring 40 points against his old team. So oh, we've seen that a million times. Yeah. The guy goes back to his old team, his old place, and goes nuts. And Miami Heat big man Myers Leonard has been fined 50 grand and suspended from all team activities and facilities for one week for his use of an anti-Semitic slur during a video game live stream earlier this week. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Tip is won by Evan Mobley. Isaiah White claims it, gives it back to Edie, and the Trojans will have it first. Edie comes to his right. Edie dribbles into a mid-range pull-up and knocks it through. Nice start to overtime for Taj, Edie, and the Trojans. Mobley at the elbow. Evan will face up on Carlson, gets in the lane. Evan has an angle, steps through, left-hand layup is good off glass. USC finally has a two-possession lead. I thought this was my building, and I feel terrible that I'm getting stopped, accosted, asking for passes. Everybody in this building should know who the hell I am, and I'm getting stopped. I can't move around this building. Like I, I was like, what the hell? Is this Madison Square Garden? I'm going to have to call Mr. Dolan and say, geez, is my number in the rafters or what? Highlights from USC's win, and Patrick Ewing does not want to be stopped and checked for a pass at Madison Square Garden. He's seven feet tall. He played at the team for over a decade. He kind of expects to be able to go wherever he wants. Oh, Who are you? DJ. Who DJ are you? Misses, DJ misses the obvious. <laughs> Who are you? Did you see the meme on, uh, on Twitter? Shot out of no. Space Jam, Charles Barkley and some guy. It's Barkley and Ewing standing next to each other. I'm just going to read all the columns that will be coming forth. And you heard highlights as USC beats Utah double overtime. The Utes in Martinez pressure-free throws to get him to OT. Two seconds left. He went two for two. Plummer hitting a rainbow three over a defender to get it to double OT. But the Utes started having too many guys foul out and ran out of gas. And that was the end of that. They finished the year 12-13. and 13, USC into the semis. Well, the good thing is with them losing all those guys fouling out that we got to find out that Brenchley is a creative genius. I had no idea, but Bill Walton told us that when he checked in there. A creative genius, no less. Bill Walton, where where he comes up with this stuff. 
Yeah, I have no qualms on the Utes' effort. I mean, they, they, they obviously they battled hard. Uh, I do have qualms with the this dumb foul rule. It's got to change. Get, let the team have the ball again if somebody commits over five fouls, and then in overtime, give them an extra foul per overtime. So it ends up being longer than an NBA game, and you have one less foul that you could commit for disqualification. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me why Mobley, who's a big-time prospect, who can shoot a three at the le- at the uh, rim practically with his feet behind the line because his arms are so long, he can practically do an underhand layup. He's so large and wingspan and all that. He can only play a few minutes in the first half because he picks up two fouls. They've got to change that, man. they just got to change that rule. And they see all these youths foul out. I think the Trojans had one guy foul out. This seems yeah. so stupid. Yeah, USC had one guy foul out. The Utes had four, including eventually Timmy Allen. Uh, Utah State, it looked a lot like Fresno State. They had 18 points, about 18 minutes into this game. But they were defending, so they're only down six. They went on a 6-0 run, tied the game at halftime, and then came out like a completely different team in the second half. Ended up scoring 50 points in the second half, and they blow out UNLV 74-53. to So Utah State, Colorado State, 10 o'clock tonight, a couple of bubble teams squaring off. Somebody's going to get a good win, and somebody is really going to be stressed when this one is over. They will have put their fate in somebody else's hands and probably end up getting disappointed, but we'll see. 10 o'clock tonight. 10 o'clock? Thought it was 9. It's 10. 10 p.m. too. Uh, 10 o'clock, CBS Sports Network. Scotty G will have the call starting at 9.30. Big Sky, Weber State got upset by Montana. Montana shot over 60% and beat them 80-75. to SUU, one is expected, beat Northern Colorado. SUU and Montana State, 5 o'clock in the semis today in the Big Sky. And UVU and New Mexico State in the WAC semifinals, 9 o'clock tonight. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I don't know about him not wanting to be a Houston Texan, but what I hear from the outside, uh, I just know that he's a Houston Texan. He's ours. We're committed to him, and we're going to go with that. As of right now, there is no contingency plan from the standpoint of uh, he is a he is a Houston Texan, and 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 basically that's how we're moving forward with it. That's Texans coach David Coley on Deshaun Watson's status. Uh, okay, that's all stuff a coach is uh, supposed to say. You really think on opening day he's going to be coaching Watson? Or should the watch opening continue? For the season opener. I mean, that's, that's not Cully's uh, responsibility. So what he says really doesn't matter. I mean, he's not management in terms of making the trades. I think it's a possibility. The guy's under contract. What's he going to do, sit out? A lot of money to sit out and lose. You're playing football. Why would you want to sit out and lose money? That didn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, I think it's a possibility. Chiefs release starting offensive tackles Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, a cost-saving move. It'll save over $18 million against the salary cap. Fisher's a former number one overall pick, and he tore his Achilles in the AFC title game. Schwartz missed most of the season with a back injury, and obviously Chiefs had issues in the Super Bowl trying to protect Patrick Mahomes against that Tampa Bay rush, so... Time to rebuild the O-line, and they save $18 million in cap room to go do that. Well, they drew straws on who to cut, and it was Schwartz. That's a Christmas storyline on the F-bomb. Yeah. 
the shorts. <laughs> mom, mom, what I do? What I do? <laughs> As he gets whacked. I mean, could you do that today? Did you have a parent? Could they portray that in the in today's world? A parent uh, smacking a, a child. Uh, I don't think I've seen it in anything lately. Not that I've seen a lot of movies lately. Yeah, maybe if you portrayed it olden times, because that's the way it was. But if you said it in modern times, or you said it in current day, it seems unlikely. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. So Major League Baseball reorganized the minor leagues. Got rid of some clubs, and now they're going to start changing the rules in the minor leagues. Test driving stuff that they may want to try in the major leagues. You up for a 15-second pitch clock, PK? That seems long. Don't really need 15 seconds. Call the pitch and let's go. It does to me, yeah. I, I, want, I, I don't know what the average time in between pitches is, so I'd have to see that to determine if that's how that would be. The bees last time that we saw them on the field, had a 20-second clock out there at Smith's Ballpark. Tighten it up, yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, I'd say get on with it. But, you know, these things, these that, that's not the one that caught me. The, the shifting no, is all. The is, shifting uh, rules. Four guys have got to have two feet on the infield dirt. So now tell the grounds crew, carve that dirt a little more towards the outfield, uh, will you? Yeah, I don't know. That and then that. they've they've said maybe later they'll make uh, do something about how many guys have to be on which side of the bag. Right, right. But I mean, at least they get it. rid of the second baseman in short right field, taking away well, that line drive single. Yeah, whoever that might be. I mean, Machado made a play in right field yeah. last year. I mean, he's a third baseman. Uh, so, yeah, I understand that. The, the shortening of the time, I mean, we're talking about three or four minutes, five minutes. Is that that big of a deal? No, I think people would like to see a half an hour cut off a, uh, a three-hour game. But I don't know that you can do that, though. You see what I'm saying? I, I get it. Uh, but I think to I Yach's point— I agree with you, but I don't, I don't think you can do that. To Yach's point, you know, if they take 20, they try it at 15. Are we going to see them try it at 12 or 10 seconds and try to speed it up? But it won't. that alone won't do it. They'll have to do other stuff. And one of the other things is limiting pickoff moves. So if you limit pickoff moves, which is a, you know, more guys try to hit home runs, it seems like guys are trying to run less. So well, they are. it seems like a smaller. The steals is way down. Right. So I, I don't know how many times they throw over anymore. Right. I think that's old school anyway. Yep. And the fact of the matter is if a game goes uh, two hours and 47 minutes and your team wins 13 to two, do you really care? More games governed by an electronic strike zone. Umps, your strike zone's all over the place. Never mind. We don't need you for this. And I get that. But at the same time, with these reviews, we've taken away some entertainment value. There's no Lou Pinellas and Billy Martins and Earl Weavers anymore going out there with sordas and screaming at the umpires and carrying on. You just don't see that that much anymore. And that always was an adrenaline rush for fans when you'd see, usually it's a... it seems like it's a little dude who's a manager going face to chest with somebody. And so we've eliminated that in terms of getting the right call. It's probably the right thing to do. And it's probably the right thing to do here with the strike zone. But you're going to eliminate uh, 
some entertainment value. Everything has a cost. Just to, you know, what, how much are you paying for that cost? And it's making the game better, whatever that particular game is. And larger bases. So every base, the side of the base is going to be three inches longer. So now there'll be six inches. The first and second base are six inches closer to each other. Second and third are six inches. And this is said in the story I read, make for marginally more stealing of bases. But they also want to cut down on collisions with a bigger bag. Yeah. So a little safety and maybe it helps a little offense marginally occasionally. Well, I think what they need to do is put two bags at first. Side by side. Ah, softball, baby. So you don't you don't have to run into each other there. All right. Well, they'll extre- they'll experiment with that in the minors this year, and then we'll see how that goes. Uh, one thing on the NFL front, just seeing this come across, the Patriots are re-signing Cam Newton on a one-year deal worth up to fourteen million dollars. So he's headed back to work with Bill Belichick. Back to New England. That's a little surprising. Unless he's dramatically healthier, I wouldn't expect any different results. If they know he was playing with something and he's going to be healthier, that'd be one thing, I guess. But All right, there you go. The latest. Cam Newton back to the Patriots. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz at 830 Chris Camrani covering the Utes, 9 o'clock. He just wrote a, uh, a big story uh, with Quinn Snyder and, and his roots in coaching, and also he's covering the Utes as spring football gets ready to get underway on Monday. And we'll have Kyle Whittingham on the radio Monday and Fridays at 8 o'clock during spring football. The Utes with Monday, Wednesday, and Friday availabilities. Assistant coaches, players too. All right, DJ and PK, the question today is coming up next. Stay with us. The Big Show big with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Sam, do you have a favorite for Coach of the Year? The minute you said Coach of the Year, you know, my brain went straight to Quinn, so I think that's probably pretty telling. Kids get consideration for sure, but some of their young guys have progressed, and I'm not trying to say that they don't have a foundation at all, but there's part of me that feels like the Knicks have kind of gone all in on having Julius Randle kind of get loose and then you know playing Derrick Rose big minutes and, and leaning into some bets that get you over the top. To me, it's not in the same ballpark is what Utah has done. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK Hot Takes and Toast brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury has not. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Signer Cadillac today. All right, Hot Takes or Toast. Question of the day. We got multiple questions today. Well, let's start with the college hoops since the game was last night and the Utah season came to end. The Utes won a Pac-12 tournament game for the first time since 2016. They took number two seed USC to double overtime. Is that enough to bring back Larry Kristoviak? And there are a lot of people weighing in on this, PK. It goes to what you have said for a long time. Even though attendance was down before they closed the games to attendance, even though attendance was down and interest was lagging, there are still a lot of hardcore youth fans out there who are invested in Utah basketball, and their interest may have uh, may have been scaled back a little bit 
but they haven't completely gone away. They're still invested in the program. Oh, on this issue, they'll come out of the woodwork. Yep. And there'll be millions of them. There is a good, uh, there's a good jazz question here that got some good responses, but we're starting the youths because we've got a lot more responses, and they are all over the map. But I think for a lot of people, this isn't a basketball question. It comes down to the finances and can they afford to buy him out uh, running a $35 million deficit in the athletic department. Yes. Uh, Anthony says the huge deficit will be more than enough to bring Larry back. Uh, I disagree on that. Brian says they're not going to let him go in this year of lost revenue. He also right. says they'll be really good next year if the players stay. <laughs> I've heard that a time or two. You have. Uh, James says they need to fire him, but unfortunately he's got that huge buyout, and they won't fire him. Uh, You have to weigh the cost of keeping him, though. What is more expensive? Just simply keeping him may be more expensive than buying him out. Because if you keep him, then, and and you're determined that he should be gone, um, this is a hypothetical here, so hear me out. Well, a lot of these people have determined that. I mean, this is what's going through their mind. Yeah, they're fans and they don't have to pay, though. That's, That's absolutely true. They don't have to write the check they and they don't have to explain it to their bosses. They have the opportunity to voice their opinions, which is their, what's what they're doing. But it comes down to Mark Harlan. And so if he's determined that, that Larry isn't good enough, keeping him can actually be more expensive because what you're doing then is buying mediocrity for two, three years. So over those two, three years going forward, who knows how long it'll take you to get out of it. I could even say four or five years, you'll lose more than whatever the buyout is. So it might be, if you're just looking at it from a money standpoint, your investment might be better now to buy him out. If you've determined that he's not good enough and I need a replacement and I'm just waiting out the opportunity to not have the buyout, to have the contract expire, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying Mark has reached that conclusion whatsoever. I'm using hypothetically, if he's reached that conclusion, it might save you money over the next five years to pay that up front now, get rid of it, get somebody else in there who can rebuild that program at least uh, to ballpark level of what you had. This has been an historically great program. You've had some downtimes for sure, as everybody does, but this has been one of the better programs in the West. I don't think you can argue that. And those fans are all there. They didn't go away. They may be apathetic towards the program right now, but this question is not about the answer to the program right now. It's about the answer to the program going forward to the next four or five years. And those fans most definitely and most passionately are still there. And they'll always be there until they pass. So if it's a purely basketball question and you don't worry about the finances whatsoever and a historically great program, if you look it up, Top fifteen, or you know, top fifteen schools in wins, in winning percentage, four Final Fours, sixteen Sweet Sixteens. I mean, the legacy is there. And historically, coaches who've missed the NCAA tournament for two or three years have been let go. And Larry's now missed it for five. Jim Boylan missed it twice and got let go. Ray Jackletty missed it twice, got let go. Rick Majerus got let go, even though they went in his last full season. You know, there are other issues there. Lynn Archibald missed it three times and got let go. 
Jerry Pym left after going to the Sweet 16. Bill Foster was uh, here three years. Never okay, went we get, to the NCAA we, we tournament. The we, we get right, the so you're going back to Jack Gardner. You're going back more than 50 years. Well, there were no at-large bids then. So the results on the court, 45 and 42 is the record over the last three seasons. 45 wins and 42 losses. So from a basketball question, if you keep him based on basketball, you're making an unprecedented decision. And I guess if he comes back and reels off multiple Sweet 16s, then it's justified but where is the indication that's going to happen? I, I don't see it. I, I don't see how you can even spin it. Well, they took an NCAA tournament team right to the double overtime with uh, at least one, if not multiple, NBA players. You're asking me to spin it. I'm trying to spin it. Uh, so a majority of the talent is there. I don't know if it's coming back, if it all comes back. I don't know if Allen is coming back. I don't know. Uh, Jim Boylan made a point to us. He was on our air uh, several years ago, and he says the one thing you have to worry about foreign guys is that they have the opportunity to go home and play in some professional league overseas, and they've got uh, at least a couple guys coming over from foreign that are foreign. Obviously, they're basically part of their nucleus. Two of their starters are foreign so I can't answer if those guys are coming back. But if they return the team, I think they can be a pretty good team next year. So and it's not much of a stretch because there were times this year they showed that they were, they were pretty good. There was just the maddening inconsistency that it was just crazy, absolutely crazy. And in a sense, even though they lost to SC in double overtime, they finished on that high note. They they, f- they found some consistency. That game could have been won, and, you know, if they don't have half the team foul out, blah, 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 but that's what the teams who lose do. You either come, you could create a bunch of what-if scenarios. Uh, the team that wins goes on and then plays, gets ready for the next game. The team that loses blames the refs and looks at the what-if scenarios. But the point being that there's some talent on that team. They played a game without their starting point guard. You know, he wasn't there, Jones. So I, I can see it. Is there somebody out there that you just you're just dying to have? Because some of these coaching situations, it just seems like you just bring somebody in, and Sun Devil Football has been doing it since John Cooper left in 1987. You just bring somebody in, and or 1988 somewhere in there. And then he's there for four or five years, and then you let him go. And then you bring somebody else in, and he's there for four or five years, and the merry-go-round just continues. So how do I know that somebody else out there is just waiting to just get this program blossoming to where it was in the 90s? There's no guarantee on that. So you can throw out Larry Kristobiak like yesterday's trash all you want, but what does that necessarily solve? Well, because of the scenario you just laid out, that's why Larry has a contract he has. Because Utah's got this great history, and they brought Jackaletti in, and he put Rick Majerus' team that was splintering, and guys were going every which way, and he, he got Bogut back for another year and got Jackson back in the program and got him to a Sweet 16. But he missed a couple of tourneys, and so Chris Hill let him go, and Boylan was going to be the answer. And he got Jackaletti's guys as seniors to the tournament, but that was the only 
NCAA game they played in four years, so they let him go. So when Larry built it from the ground up, because everybody left after Boylan, I mean, there was literally one player on the roster who was a D1 player who came back. And so because Larry got him to the Sweet 16, and to avoid that merry-go-round you just described, he got this massive contract. Well, the pros were throwing stuff at him. Absolutely, they were worried about him going to Because he'd had NBA. some pro background. Coached the Bucks. Time as, yeah, and obviously played in the league for a number of years and is regarded well by pros. And So Chris jumped on that opportunity to extend him, and now it's looking like it's biting him a little bit. But at the time, pros were coming after him. And so he did what he did, but that's all in the past. I mean, we can look back all we want, but yep. that doesn't have any bearing on what's available right now. Tell me who's out there that you just know is just an absolute slam dunk. Now, I don't know Mark Harlan well enough, but I knew Chris Hill well enough to where, you know, he would talk to me about stuff, and, and he always had a list of guys. And that year that they went to the Sweet 16, they were up in Portland – and the Stephen F. Austin coach was uh, Brad Underwood. And Chris told me, right, right, we're talking about it in the hallway. Uh, man, I keep my eye on this guy, uh, Brad Underwood. And Brad Underwood is uh, kicking butt now. Is he at Illinois? Going to be a number are, one seed probably. Yeah. And so the point being that Chris had, he always had a list. And he, t- he talked about it. He said he always had a list. Didn't necessarily tell me every guy who was on the list, but I just used that as an example that Chris talked to me about Brad Underwood because they played the Utes, and you could see that Underwood had that Stephen F. Austin team. They had like 30 wins that year at their level, and they were a pretty good team, and and Chris was impressed. I don't know if Mark has it. I've not spoken to him. And now you don't get to see these guys out on the road or in arenas and stadiums and all because of the COVID situation. So I don't know Mark well enough to know uh, what he's thinking as far as having a list. He's never really spoken about that. He's basically defended and supported uh, Larry publicly to every extent. Uh, And what is he thinking? I can't say. Does he have a list? Does he feel like there's somebody out there who could come in and there's no guarantees. I understand that, so you're not going to get any guarantee. But feels very, very strongly that I can get Coach XYZ in here and we can get this thing going. Because if you don't, aren't you just kind of throwing darts at at a dartboard in the dark and just so well, now it's time we're going to make a change, so we're going to make a change because he hasn't gone to the NCAAs in five years, and so let's make a change and keep our fingers crossed. I don't know that that necessarily is the way to go. Well, I guess when you're an AD, these I mean, these are the biggest decisions. I mean, fundraising matters too, but football and basketball, you're building your rep. You hire good coaches, yeah, and you build facilities, raise money and build facilities, you're good to go. Now, you know, football's evolved to be much more important than basketball, but basketball still has importance in some schools, and I think Utah's one of them. So, you know, this is a a big part of, you know, his legacy and, you know, his career going forward, too. Of course, those he are have, the things you have to get right. Yeah, who does he have he really wants to bet his rep on? And, you know, there are other things that sometimes come into consideration. And, you know, we've seen presidents, and uh, <laughs> we know presidents can weigh in on hire sometimes, but the youth's president is leaving, so I wouldn't think that's a factor unless regions are going to weigh in on it. So, 
know, how much does that weigh into all of this? Uh, Jacob on our Facebook page says, as a BYU fan, yes, bring him back, three exclamation points, and then some laughing emojis underneath it. Cougar fans feel like they can beat beat the youths for talent in recruiting battles and then uh, beat them on the court. So they want it back. Oh, possibly, yeah. I mean, they've been relying on grad transfers or transfers, and Pope's one and one against Larry. It's not say. like he's dominated. Uh, but at the same time, it's funny because BYU has a narrow pool of coaching candidates compared to Utah for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. But yet there was one obvious candidate that they wanted, and that was Mark Pope. I mean, he was their guy that they wanted, overwhelmingly that they wanted. And they went through this dog and pony coaching search, and this is exactly what it was. And they had to do it because in case Pope said no, but at no point was Pope never not the favorite. He was always the overwhelming favorite. The job was his before Dave Rose retired, <laughs> if he wanted it. And Utah, you don't have that, and which is not necessarily a negative. It's just sort of ironic that they had an over. They don't have a big coaching pool, but they had the one guy that they everybody agreed that they wanted on. I can remember standing there at the Marriott Center with Tom Holmo and Brian Santiago. I said, "Well, when Dave Rose's retirement afterward, I talked. I said, what?" When are you going to have the press conference for <laughs> You uh, said Mark that Pope? just to jam yeah. up. <laughs> well, we all knew. I know what you're doing. <laughs> there was, it, was, it was an open secret. Yeah. The number of yeah. people in and around the BYU program who 100% believed Pope was going to be the coach and would look yeah. you right in the eye or you know, text you, I 100% believe Pope is going to be the guy. Well, I had someone that I was uh, communicating with during the coaching search, and it lingered on a little bit, and it made me a little nervous. And guy texted me. I said, "He said I already told you who's going to be the coach. Why do you keep asking me? Because they haven't it's done like, it yet." <laughs> and I know it's like uh, when I, ha- I had Ian Furness on, and I was asking him, "Hey, DJ's leaving the station. Should I follow him?" <laughs> and he was driving from Portland to Seattle. And after about ninety minutes, I kept asking him, and he finally said, "Are you even paying attention to me?" I told you to keep the brand together. Why are you making me repeat myself? I've already given I've given you my answer. Stop asking me the same question over and over again, just rephrasing it in different words. I told you what I think you should do. And he said it in a manner like, oh, man, I better do this. <laughs> he said it. As some, and he was an advisor to me at the time, and I really valued his opinion, which is the reason why I called him in the first place. So... And there was the same thing here. Same time. Like, I already told you who's going to be the coach. This is the guy. This is who they want. He wants it. He's going to take it. They're going through negotiations. It will be done. So, and they may clearly made the right move. Pope looks like uh, he is 100% the right man for the job. I just don't know that there's somebody out there for Utah. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I have a bias here. I like Larry. And so I want to see him keep his job. I still think they can get it done, and maybe I'm the fool, and maybe I'm Lucy or I'm Charlie Brown here, and Lucy's going to keep that football there, and I'm actually going to get to kick it. Maybe this is the time. I get it. I'm sticking my neck out when the easy thing to say is, well, look at the results. The results speak for themselves. What are you doing, you fool? And look at all that other stuff that you said, how they've done all this other, all these other years when you don't make the tournament, then whatever the uh, – the time frame is, you're gone. 
And I, get, I can't argue any of that. And I, and I really wanted to get into this with Larry, and he clearly really didn't want to get into it. And we kind of had to respect the fact when he does have a game oh, Wednesday. Sure, yeah. He's got a game Wednesday. But I still want to get into it because we don't get him on that often. And hopefully we'll get him on again so we can go big picture. If you're going to bring back a guy who's gone 45 and 42 the last three years, I mean, when they opened that practice facility, PK, <clears throat> they brought back so many former Utes. Different generations of glory years were there. Whether you loved the team in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, there were players there. And several of them, but one of them specifically, but several of them generally said this, but one of them very specifically said to me is, this ups the stakes. This has always been a school where you need to go to the NCAA tournament or you need to explain what got screwed up. And then if you have, that's it. that needs to be the average, the norm. And then if you have a big year, okay, then you win a game or two. He says, if you're in the Sweet 16, that's a great year. That's a memorable year. He says, now they're in a Power 5 league with access to better seeds and uh, more at-large spots. And they've got this facility with this history, tradition, fan base. He says, man, I, I don't want to say they're UCLA because they're not, but they need to be in the Sweet 16 a lot more now. And the big year, the Final Four is no longer a crazy thought. Everything's in place. And it all made sense to me standing there, everything that got laid out for me. And now, if I'm, the, if I'm Mark Harlan, if I'm bringing Larry back, there's two reasons. One, I simply have been told by people above me, we can't, either we can't afford to do it, which I don't really believe. I think they can't afford to do it. Or... We don't want to do it. The optics are horrible, and we're going to get pushback from donors and the state legislature. We just don't want to do it. Don't do it. Okay? If your bosses tell you don't do it, then don't do it. But if you're going to bring him back for basketball reasons, then you got to sit down with Larry, and you got to say, tell me all the stuff you've screwed up, and tell me how you fixed it. Because... Utah shouldn't be going 45 and 42 over three years. And I need to know specifically how you fixed it so that this isn't happening again. Because you need to get back to being an NCAA team, and you probably need to meet these heightened expectations that ex-players, boosters, fans all have, because they did build that expensive building for a reason. They did refurbish the practice courts and rebuild them and put in all those locker rooms for a reason. It was to give them an edge so they could be more than a team that usually goes to the NCAA tournament, and then in the big year goes Sweet 16. Okay, does that mean they're going to fire him then? I, I think they're going to bring him back because of the money. I think the optics are terrible and they don't want to do it. And you think they should fire him? But I don't think, I don't have any expectations. You know because we've done the show. I haven't had any expectations for the last two years that it was going to get better, and it didn't get better. Okay, he made a statement last night. Maybe y'all can cut it up and we can get to it. He made a statement in his post game. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's very, very close. Despite all the noise, I have no reason to believe the program is not on the rise. You can hear that. He said it himself. Okay. Is the, pro- is the program on the rise? No. I, d- I don't believe it is because of what I've seen. They went 23 and 12, then it dropped to 17 and 14, then it dropped to 16 and 15. Now it's dropped to 12 and 13. I, I'd love to tell you I see it on the rise. Well, you're basing I wish it, on, it were on the rise. You're basing it on 12 or but 22 victories three years ago. You're basing it on now. Is the program on the rise? It doesn't look like it to me. They're still blowing halftime leads, they're still wildly inconsistent. It's stuff we've been complaining about for years. I'd love to tell you it is. 
and not just because, you know, I like Larry and he's a good interview, so bring him back. But you and I both know assistant coaches. There's a guy up there who played up there. I don't want them to get fired. Never wish that on people. Don't do that. But I can't look you in the face and tell you, I think this program is on the rise. Watching the last five years of basketball, especially the last three. Now, if he's made some changes somehow at his core and the core of the program that are going to pay off, I mean, then I guess you could bring him back. And I, and I think the issue of money is looming and the optics of it are looming out there. All right, DJ PK, you can weigh in all of that. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James. The Jazz, the second half, part two of the question of the day. We will get to it next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision has given you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, part two question of the day. We just had the question about the Utes. How about one about the Jazz? They play the Houston Rockets tonight. The All-Star break is over for most teams in the NBA. There were 11 games last night. It ends for the Jazz Tonight, they'll be back at it, 36 games down, 36 to go. What are your expectations as the Jazz begin the second half of the season? And Tyler says, simply, championship or bust. Tyler wants it all, and he wants it now. Grayson says, I want the one seed. We got the players that can make that happen. Well, that's for sure. You already have it. so. But Steven says, I expect to maintain a top three seed. He's not oh, locked into sure. number one. Yeah, minimum, man. Minimum. Tron says, they win out. No, they're not winning out. Not winning 36 in a row. Well, I went through and looked at it because I posted the question, and so I went through and looked at the schedule. Yeah. Wow, did that make you slightly nauseous? That's not really a you thing. Yeah, I know, but this is what we're talking about. PK schedule? What? Uh, so I didn't obsess over it, but I went because uh, people have been talking about how they have the easiest schedule or the second easiest or what have you. So I was just trying to get a gauge on where I thought that they could be uh, victory total wise. So they got 36 games left, right? And to me, uh, Reasonably, I've tried to be somewhat conservative and not be outrageous. Uh, I have 28 wins and low-end 24 wins. So basically keep doing what they're doing. They went 27-9. and You got them in the same ballpark. Yeah, because I don't think what they did was a fluke. And so there would be no reason not to have a, at least a ballpark repeat of what they've already done because it's not like I looked at dudes and said, oh, man, they've, really, they've had career years. How could they possibly keep this going? I didn't really see that. I didn't see anybody just – I mean, Donovan Mitchell scoring 50-plus points in, in the bubble. Okay, that jumped out at you, right? Well, he, he, didn't really, he didn't really do anything that just went, wow, man, I didn't see that coming. No, this is pretty much who he is. You know, he'll have a better game than others sometimes along the line. That's just natural with shooting. But really, that's the way I looked at the team. So, yes, I'm expecting them to at least ballpark somewhere between 24 as a low end 
28 and at, at the high end. Did you have them uh, splitting with the Lakers in that two-game set, the most intriguing two games of the second half of the season? I think I actually factored into them losing both. That's what I was saying. I was trying to be conservative in mm-hmm. my uh uh, predictions. There's no reason why you know I don't know who's going to play in that well, for the Lakers at that point. But I mean, it's not like uh, I'm guaranteeing you they're going to lose both. And I had them losing the Phoenix going down there. You know, I try to try to be conservative in my picks and not just look at it totally rose-colored glasses. All right, Rick's checking in eight five five three four zero zone. Rick, good morning. Hey guys. Hey. So, if you break down this team, if you look at the statistics and the eye test, this is a team that can win it all. Um, the shortcoming that statistics shows about this team, and it's only two things. They don't create turnovers, and they commit turnovers. So that means they're a little bit one-on-one defenders. They're not that good. Bogey's not any good. He's bottom half of his position. Joe Ingles, who used to use his IQ to play defense, he's slower now. He doesn't get even get steals anymore. So an athlete can do what he wants with him. Donovan literally turns the switch off in the first half. The reason, even during this great run, we were behind every game in the first half is because Donovan just sits back because he doesn't move without the ball. So he's thinking in the first half, let's distribute, let's make sure everybody gets touches, which is good. We have enough depth for other people to carry the team. But the problem is he doesn't move without the ball. And in the second half, Donovan can carry you, but if he's not hitting his shots and he's being inefficient, he can also sink you. Unlike other stars for other teams, they're either carrying you or they're an ingredient to winning. Donovan, if he is not carrying you, he's actually hurting you. So I'm kind of glad Shaq was the bad guy that opened his big mouth. He was out of place. He has no business telling Donovan you know, what he should be doing, but he's right, and I'm glad he had to do it rather than a coach or a Utah, somebody on the Jazz. But Donovan has got to learn to be, when he's not carrying, to just be an ingredient, you know, because he's, he's, he turns the switch off on defense, especially in the first half. He doesn't move without the ball. The Jazz are a very good team. They've got what it takes to win in this NBA, which is three-point shooting and defend the goal. Now, what I wish they would do, if they're ahead in the fourth quarter with six minutes, which means just get stops. You get stops, this offense will score on anybody. I wish they would play favors with Rudy in the last six minutes. Why? The reason that went away was because the only person in the NBA that you couldn't play with those two was Ricky Rubio. Because literally, you just leave him alone which means you only have two shooters on the court. Nowadays, you need three minimum. The Jazz always have four. They have six guys they can plug in those other three positions with Rudy and Favors on the court. I wish he would notice that because then it would turn every team in the fourth quarter into a jump shooting. They can't attack the basket, which against the Jazz, when just Rudy's out there, you kind of can if you play it right. You know, because Rudy's a great goal defender, but – when it comes down to two against one, he's not Superman. All right, thanks. Uh, thank, the thanks for the call, Rick. We're up against it. We got to take. We got to run here, uh, PK. What? Championship or worry about the playoff matchups when we get there, and just worry about the second half of the season now. 
Oh, for sure. Worry about the task at hand. What's the point of worrying about the playoffs now? All right. Uh, Robert says, win the games that they should be in and uh, make sure they are in every game. No blowouts. Do you care about blowouts? Do you care about the occasional off night when they get lit up? Well, I do in the moment. Yeah. And what I mean by that, you know, the Denver thing is like, uh uh-oh. Were they just on a hot streak and Denver exposed them? Well, going forward there, even in the games they lost afterward, unless I'm missing any of them, they were all close games. So, in a sense, even though an L is an L, I feel better about uh, Philadelphia and New Orleans and Miami than I did Denver. So, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter. So, uh, there's enough body of work that the occasional blowout even even though even in a blowout though I still there's different forms of blowouts and I'm getting real nitpicky here and I don't like to do that uh, but I, I get your point that sometimes they just happen and so what's the point of dwelling on it in the NBA when you're going to get on a plane or go home and have come back in a day or two and play another game you got to keep moving so I understand the point there but uh, I, I like Closer losses in which you fight and battle. I, I, I took nothing negative away from that Philly loss. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing was negative about it. And I even appreciated the postgame stuff. Go down swinging, man. That's what Larry Kostobiak said on our uh, air on Monday. If we're going to go down, go down swinging. And the good thing for the Utes is they went down swinging against SC. I think we can all agree with that. So you can live with those things a lot easier. But continue to do what they do. And that's an interesting thing, though. You know, should you be playing favors and go bear a little bit towards the end of the game, which is really going to tighten up your defense? You know, in that overtime, if uh, favors would have been on uh, Tobias Harris, would they have, or if favors would have been on the floor, would they have just isolated Bogdanovich like that completely? Probably not. Can they hold the one seed the rest of the year? I got to say, that's where my expectation is. Now that they've got it and they've got a little bit of a cushion. But if they lost the one seed, and they they got the Suns twice in Phoenix, right? You just looked at the schedule. I didn't, but I'm pretty well, sure they last did. night. Yeah, so. but they've got the Lakers twice in LA. I think they've got the Suns twice in Phoenix. And you know, how do you handle the big games? If you dominated the big games but slipped up and ended the two seed, I'd probably I'd probably have more confidence. If they lose all the big games and hold on to the one seed because they do a better job cleaning up against the. Uh, the bottom of the league, and and because they're healthier, and you know the Lakers have gone three and seven here going into the break because they didn't have AD. But if you can't beat the healthy Lakers and you're the one seed because you are healthier than they were, I don't think that'd give me the confidence I want going into the postseason. I have to see what it looks like when you get there, but that'd be a little bit of a worry. So yeah, I'm I'm all in on holding on to the one seed. You've got a really good team, and you got the lead here with 36 games to go, and you've got a favorable schedule, but the big games are going to mean more to me because you're going to have to beat those teams in the playoffs, and how do you match up with them? And I know the regular season games aren't a perfect measuring stick, but they're the only one we've got right now. All right, DJ and PK, uh, we're getting more reaction on Larry Kristoviak. Stay with us. We will get to your feedback where do you think the U program should go from here? That's coming up next. David Locke is here at 8.30. Chris Camerani at 9 o'clock on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. 
I just made it clear in the locker room. Would love to have everybody back coaching this group again. We can lace it all up. Everybody can come back. Got a couple additions to the roster. You know, I remain optimistic. Guys can work on their basketball game, but we can come back as a brotherhood and hopefully play in front of fans. I have no questions in my mind, contrary to a lot of the noise, that this is a program that is on the rise. We've got uh, a number of young players that are playing games. We got guys that want to get in the weight room. Got a lot of high character people. So I have no reason to to believe otherwise. DJ and PK brought to you by The Store. The Store has grab-and-go meals and hundreds of local products. The Store has two locations in Holiday at 6200 South and 2050 East and at the Gateway Mall in downtown Salt Lake City. That's The Store. There's Larry Kristoviak. That's what you referenced a couple segments ago, PK. His post-game comments after the double overtime loss to USC in the Pac-12 tournament quarterfinals. Question of the morning up on Facebook, up on Twitter. The Utes win a Pac-12 tournament game for the first time since 2016. They take number two seed USC to double OT. Is that enough to bring Larry Kristoviak back? Tyson says, absolutely, he's earned it. Great coach. Larry's Utes have stalled, Jim tweets at us, but he gets at least one more chance because of his buyout, unless some deep-pocket boosters have had enough. Huge buyout and pandemic revenue year doesn't make sense. Yeah, that sounds good, but I, I disagree with that philosophy because, as I've been saying, you can set your program back even more so it can cost you even more money, potentially. I mean, you, I'm not saying completely discard the finances, and, and it would be irresponsible to say that. But I don't know that just – I'm not bringing him back strictly because of finances. I've got to believe that what he just said right there, which was a very positive spin, we would all agree, that I – and I'm speaking for Mark, which I'm, I'm going to put myself in his shoes – I have to believe, if I'm Mark, what Larry just said, I have to believe what he said is true. If I believe what he said is true, then I bring him back. Even if you're, La- even if you're Mark Harlan and you think you see a, a, another young coach or coaches on the rise who you can go get, I mean, we always talk about these Power 5 teams with deep pockets that can go in and out spend people. Well, the Utes are a Power 5 team with deep pockets that can go in and out spend people. Not everybody, but a lot of teams. There's 350 yeah, but coaches who in out basketball there. is out there to where you can say, put your name on it, just whatever school. I mean, you don't even have to name a name. That you can feel like, man, that is somebody that I know is just going to resurrect this program and get it back. Because actually, if you brought in somebody new, if what Larry said happens, mm-hmm. where all these dudes come back, and they are in the weight room and doing all the things in this past season, off season, I should say, it, it was all over the map on who could do what. You know, with the, with the COVID, and we were, uh, this time last year, the country was in a panic. Mm-hmm. Massive fear. Yeah, and nobody was going. Right, yeah, nobody right. was going to the weight room, and nobody could go right. work out. It was all there were so many unknowns, <laughs> unbelievable yeah. number of unknowns. Right. So going forward here, 
uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. So we get, I don't know if we'll have complete and total normalcy, but we'll have it more approaching it than we had it going in the offseason last year. So Brandon Carlson comes back. And he's strong. Kid's got a lot of talent, man. I don't see how you can disagree that he doesn't have some talent. And then you got these foreign kids. They can get better, and they're going to get better. Uh, Martinez, I was thinking about this last night as I'm watching. You know, I've been around this basketball program uh, at le- for a while there. I was closely involved in the program, not as much anymore, but I still can talk on it. You know, they've had a number of really good big men, swing men, uh, forwards and and some centers, right? We would all agree with that. And they've had some good guards, but you know they really haven't had a superstar, except for uh, Andre Miller. Well, Martinez looks like he can be really, really good going forward, man. I mean, he made a couple of maybe mistakes, but just his the way how smooth he looked and his athleticism. So it looks like they've got something there. I think we would agree with that. So the point being, if if suppose they make a change. Whoever they bring in, this roster is ready to win next year. You're saying make a change. I'm saying let Larry come back. Let's assume they make a change. I'm going to ask you this question. I believe that this roster is ready to win next year. What is your response to that? Well, I do not know what this roster is going to look like. I don't believe everybody's coming back because I think it's very rare that everybody comes back. I don't think you have to do anything wrong as a coach to have to deal with everybody not coming back. They've got a senior and plumber. Obviously, he hit an enormous three that got him to double overtime. And he can come back if he wants. He can, but I don't know that he wants to. Now, this is where Mark Harlan's going to have more information than you and I. When you get, when you get new info, feel free to have a new opinion. Don't ignore the new info, and Mark's going to have more than you and I and all the people who are hitting us up on Twitter. Because even you won't know 100% who's coming back because guys get to change their mind and somebody might tell them one thing and then cross them up. Right, Um, and that's just it, too. If you make a change in coaching, that could cause guys not to want to come back. Absolutely it could. Well, you got two assistant coaches who have kids on the team. You let them go, there's a pretty good chance their kids are transferring. So know know that. They may not. Uh, Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. But you got to acknowledge there's a pretty good chance. I don't know about the Jones kid. He's a Utah kid through and through. Okay. Uh, so I mean, he was. So how about Ian here. Martinez? If you didn't I, see I don't the game, that. I don't know that. If you didn't see the game, he made big time plays. I mean, at the end of regulation, going around his guy and rising up to throw down the game time dunk, and it gets waved off, and so he just steps to the line and hits both free throws. <laughs> okay, that was impressive. That was big time. I expected him to make both free throws. Uh, and his just his uh, perimeter game was was just so smooth, so awesome. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't I don't know about that, and I don't know that the new coach doesn't retain the dad to keep the kid. Yeah, that's that could been, happen too. Yeah. That's been done a million times over. So that's what that's what you have to factor in. You get rid of Larry, you actually might open yourself up to more departures than fewer departures. Like uh, I can't answer that, and they've been. They've been hurt by that. You know, he was on there on Monday on our show saying that Gotch leaving was a mistake. Gotch was averaging 30 minutes a game for the Utes, and he's playing 23 for a crappy Minnesota team. And in his next-to-last game, he had 28 points for the Utes, and he decides he needs to leave? What the hell for? <laughs> right. <laughs> what, why? And you were playing a lot. You scored 28, and I think, in the last regular season game. 
And what, what what more do you want? What, what, what did you want to have everything revolve around you? You're not that good to have everything revolve around you. So you take off, and at least from minutes played, you had a reduction significantly in minutes played. Just looking after Larry said that, and I have to admit I wasn't following what Gotch was doing in Minnesota. But after he said that on our show, I went and looked it up. And statistically, he's not any better. You could argue he's worse, uh, especially in minutes played, which is going to lead. You have to have uh, you have to play to get everything to, else. Yeah. yeah, right. So, you know, why why did he do that? It doesn't make any sense. I realize there's some home thing there, but you know, if they can find a way to return all the players that are eligible to return, aside from Plummer, who has been there, but he's a junior college kid. Maybe he wants to be there another year. I don't know. I have no idea. But they're going to have to have new kids come in anyway. So the the team is ready to win next year. That's why I want to have Larry have another shot, because the team is ready to win. But, you know, who knows what Larry's thinking himself, because his kid's a senior in basketball, he's got a couple of youngster, a younger. Uh, well, I said it's a set of twin girls, right? Uh, and they're into volleyball. He's got a house down in Southern California. I know when the high school team went down there, that his kid was on. They played in a tournament, the Tory Tory Pines tournament. I know the team stayed at the house. So you know, if there's some negotiation for a buyout, and he can get some of that money, does he want to come back? You listened to him last night, and he sounded very bulldogish that, yeah, he's thinking about what's going forward next season, and I get that. I just don't know that there's a slam-dunk coach coming in here who's going to fix all your problems. Well, that's what Mark Harlan's going to weigh. Who's more likely to fix the problems? Larry Stain. What changes has he made that's going to make this different than the last three years versus bringing in a new guy, and what changes is he going to make? And if it comes down to the single changes, retain more talent. That the I last that, three years, that's a significant aspect. That the last three years yes. wouldn't have gone so poorly. Right. Forty-five wins, forty-two losses, no NCAs, no NITs. You know, just scraping along at five hundred. That they wouldn't have gone like that if he hadn't had so many kids transfer out of the program. Which comes down to why were so many kids transferring out of the program, and if you fix that, which you'd think Mark would be able to get some inside. Information on that by talking to players himself. Oh, I think he does. Yeah, I assume so. I know he does. I've had some information about that. And when you listen to Mark talk about that, he tends to go away from Utah and talk about how it's happening around the country. And clearly it is. And clearly it is happening around the country. You know, Dave Rose once told me, that his problem was he was too honest when they used to have their exit interviews, mm-hmm. that his assistants kept telling him, why don't you lie to these kids? <laughs> and, and just tell them, sure, man, you're our guy. Yeah. I mean, you're going to – FGAs, absolutely. We're going to feature – we're going to put it – we're going to build around you to get these kids to stay. <laughs> and, and then when you get out there and the season starts, you go with what you think is right. And at that point, you know, the kid's kind of stuck. And so he literally told me that. They keep telling me, yeah. And they were sort of joking, but, you know, because you want to be honest. But you're, you're honest with these kids, and you tell them. And I can remember him sitting in Dave's office, and he told them, look at the times we've gone to the Sweet 16, man. We've had those players speaking to banners of the Jimmer and uh, Ainge. Mm-hmm. And you, you're not those guys. <laughs> so, 
but yet we had all these other guys who helped us get to NCAA tournaments because, you know, like a Noah Hartsock, who by the time he was senior, uh, senior was ready to, to fill an important role, had a complimentary role. But, but an important role. As, yeah. as he gets older, and then you get more responsibility there. That's what they got to do. Now, if, I, it may blow up because Allen may decide I'm out. He sampled the NBA draft a year ago yeah. and then pulled his name out. And he's a junior. So if he wants to go pro, that's not you doing anything wrong. That's just the way the world works. But it makes the team a little less ready to win next year, oh, unless someone can substantially less. Unless someone can step up and be ready to blow up and take uh, on a much. But bigger he's your role. best player. You lose your best player. That's that's a, a hit, right? But I mean, the point being, the huge loss. Van Horn went to the Final Four. That's so the next you know, example we all go to. I mean, he <clears throat> clearly had other guys step up. Speaking of Majerus, yeah. I don't Dol- know. Dolan Andre- had a great year. I don't Andre know. They Andre-, Andre Miller on the team, but if I'm Mark and I can figure out the talent coming back, and it's really what's the rush? So then you won't buy the money, but will you buy a combination of the two? I don't really want to do the money. I'll do it if I have to, because you're right. Some of it can be offset going forward. By another, you know, another bad year, getting started on the rebuild sooner. I mean, that's out there. But if you do think that not all of the talent, I mean, I don't think that's where the discussion should be. I realize it's easy to go there because that's where Larry set the bar. But I just don't think that's realistic. But if enough of the talent returns and you have guys and you have internal improvement and all that, does Mark think they got a better chance of being better this year? Are there any coaches he really wants that he can get now that he can't get in a year? Has he really got his eye on somebody? He plays that stuff close to the vest. I mean, by the time Chris Hill was telling you stuff, man, you knew Chris Hill for like a decade, and then you knew him for 15 years. You're right. And Mark's been here a little while now, but there isn't the time to travel and hang out with him. A, you have a different job, and B, you just can't hang out the last year. You just you're not standing around arenas doing nothing for an hour before. Correct. Then. You're right. So, you know, if he's got somebody he really wants and he needs to go get him, you know, I think the other thing is it's also it's not. Imp- you're right that they could whiff on that because they've whiffed before, right? Boylan was a whiff. Jackaletti, maybe he would have worked out if he'd been given more time, but given the fact it was three years, it was a whiff. And maybe they'll whiff, but BYU and Utah State just changed. And they got guys who I think we would all sit here and agree right now, they got the right guy. They got really good teams. They would have been an NCAA team at BYU last year. It looks like they're going to be an NCAA team this year. They'd be two for two in normal times. You know, oh, and Craig Smith's two for two in winning the conference tournament. Right. And he's got a chance to do it again this year. So go get Craig Smith. <laughs> Don't. I was, could they, I was could, going to say, there's a guy up in Logan that can do a pretty good job, apparently. You know, if you've got the kind of Power 5 money we've heard these other schools throwing around, is Utah in a place going forward where for football and basketball coaches, if they want a BYU or a Utah State coach, can they go get them? Well, they, now, there's individual circumstances, so not always. The amount of money they're throwing around right now is suggest they would be able to. Yeah, but yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm if he called call either one Jerry of those. Bovey here in a minute, and he's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> yeah, he's going to punch through the phone. He, and, and Jerry Bovey's a smart guy that we have known for a long time, going back to the High School Activities Association. Jerry knows how the world works. I mean, he knows money is green, and Power Five schools have big stacks of it. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up, David Locke is going to join us. 
Radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He's next. Chris Camrani, staff writer for The Athletic, covering the youth. We can talk Larry with him. We can talk uh, spring football with him. He just had a big piece on the Jazz and The Athletic. We can talk that with him. And uh, Chris is uh, – Chris, you, did you know Chris when he was at the U as a student writer? No. No, okay. That was other guys you knew. Correct. Yeah. Okay. When right. I was a writer. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. David Locke, coming up next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Sam, do you have a favorite for Coach of the Year? The minute you said Coach of the Year, you know, my brain went straight to Quinn, so I think that's probably pretty telling. Kids get consideration for sure, but some of the young guys have progressed, and I'm not trying to say that they don't have a foundation at all, but there's part of me that feels like the Knicks have kind of gone all in on having Julius Randle kind of get loose and then you know playing Derrick Rose big minutes and, and leaning into some bets that get you over the top. To me, it's not in the same ballpark is what Utah has done. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us every week. And his weekly appearance is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David James. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You, you, Patrick Kinahan. You <laughs> yes. thought your Cougars had that one, didn't you? You thought they were taking down the Zags and going to the dam. You know, and I, I'm still not over it. And they're going uh-huh. to, and they're going to the dance anyway. Irregardless. All right. Irregardless. Nice. Well done. Well played. Uh, they are going. How many teams do we have dancing this year? Sixty-eight. No, no, Utah team's the only one that I care about. Uh, I think the uh, uh, it could be as many as four. I suspect the number will end up being two, and if I'm wrong, it's three. All right, so BYU, Utah State are the two? Uh, I think BYU is a lock. I think everyone thinks BYU is a lock. I think that Utah State, uh, SUU... And UVU all have a shot. Utah State. Mark Madsen, baby! Yeah. Mark Madsen's got that thing rolling in the tournament? That's awesome. Well, it's 50-50 in the final. They they shouldn't lose in this semi against New Mexico State tonight, but they could. New Mexico State beat them once. They yeah, they, yeah, they did. So, David, people want to hear you talk about the Utah Jazz. They want to plumb the depth of your knowledge. And PK said he went through the second-half schedule, and I'm 100% certain that you've gone through the second-half schedule. I have. And he thought low-end, if things break wrong, 24 wins. High-end, if things fall into place, 28 wins. What do you think? How many games are there? 36. 36. So I had us kind of trying to go 23 and 13. No. Like 67 winning percentage. Or maybe it was 23 and 11 or 23. Like, no, it'd be 23 and 13. It's 36 games. Then maybe I was 24 and 12. So you're winning 67% of games. That's a lot. The way I looked at it, I don't have the breakdown right in front of me, but there's about nine games that are kind of easy. Eight of them are Rockets, Wolves, and some other team Kings. Then there's this whole middle pack that, like, Portland could be pretty tough by the time we play them if they have Nurkic back and 
Memphis is Jaron Jackson Jr. is coming back. And there's just this whole kind of middle-range set of teams that are actually pretty good that I think could be really tough. And then there's and then there's, there's eight or nine, like, almost like scheduling, like, unless you're really great, scheduling, I don't want to call them scheduling losses, but, you know, like, Brooklyn's, a, like Brooklyn's just better than we are. Um, so I think, you know, we don't play ourselves and we don't play the Clippers, so – we don't the, – our schedule, I think, statistically might feel a little easier than it actually is. Um, but, if you know, I think we've got to, like uh, – again, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think Phoenix is like 25 and 11 for the season. Is that right? You know, we've got to kind of force them to do that again. Like, if they want to go 25 and 10 and they finish the year 50 and 22 and they get the one seed, then you kind of – then you kind of tip your hat, but you want to make them do that. You want to make somebody go win at that rate again and catch us. Um, but I don't think you can expect us to win 77% of our games again. What do you think about Phoenix? How legitimate are they? I was really impressed last night. You know, I think they're really, I think they're really legit in this. The question mark on them is DeAndre Ayton, right? Look at their plus-minus last night. Ayton's minus four. Sarge is plus 15. Dario Sarge is like plus 25 for 100 possessions this year. When he's on the floor, they have got themselves a really special group, whether it's Jay playing the four at that point and spreading the floor. And if you go back to last year, Chris Paul was the number one pick-and-roll point guard in the NBA with Danilo Gallinari. That was the number one pick-and-roll combination in the league was those two. So I I think they've got a little something there that's pretty special. Their defense is great. They're 17-3 and over their last 20. They're the fourth-ranked offense and the fourth-ranked defense. If you're going to buy the Jazz, you have to buy the Suns. You can't be a Jazz fan and not buy the Suns, or then you don't buy us. There's only two teams in the league that are top ten offense and defense. I think it's something like 18 of the last 20 champions in the NBA were top of that. Maybe it's 17 of the last 20 champions were top 10 in both. There's only two teams in the league right now that are top 10 in both, the Suns and the Jazz. Utah Phoenix Western Conference Final. I hear a lot of the NBA cringing and complaining. I'm up for it. I'd be entertained. Utah Mix it Brooklyn up. In the finals. Utah Brooklyn in the finals, baby. Uh, you say Brooklyn's better, and they, they're going to see Brooklyn again, and they already lost to Brooklyn with Durant out, and, and they hadn't traded for Harden at that point. Uh, I, I don't want to guess when they played Brooklyn, Brooklyn who might Brooklyn's play. Why, why do you say point blank Brooklyn is better? Oh, they're totally unstoppable. They're going to win. They're going to win 30. They're going to go 30 and 5 at minimum the rest of the way. They're the best shooting team in the history of the game. They don't have a five-man lineup they're going to put on the floor when everyone's healthy. They have an offensive rating under about 124. There is, they've got the three best isolation players in all of the NBA, so when a play breaks down, they've got an answer that's not only, like, acceptable, it's elite. Like, I think they're all over 1.2 points per possession. Um, Joe Harris is not talked about and is underrated, but it is, you know, is an elite offensive player because of his efficiency and his shooting. He's the number one over the last four years in the NBA. He's the number one catch-and-shoot guy in the entire league, and he's playing off Durant, Irving, and Harden, which then makes him one of the great – you know, he's Ray Allen. Like, <laughs> he's pretty bit as good as Ray Allen was 
for Chris Vosh, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade. It's a recreation of the Heatles. They're unbelievable. And they'll defend enough, but they don't even need to defend. That, I, I really think they're going to go, you know, what, they got 35 left? I think they'll at minimum go 30 and 5. So you got them better than the Lakers when the Lakers are at full strength? Yeah, way better. I actually don't think it's close. I really think they're unstoppable. So I, I really NBA winning the finals I, then. I don't know what you do. Like they they play fast and they get out and run. Okay, well now slow them down and get them in the half court and switch one through five and then they just and, and do what you're gonna like. I don't know how you defend them and so. Maybe, you know, we would have the best chance of anyone because you just play him in pick and roll and make Rudy stop him in the mid-range. But those three guys are elite level at mid-range, and they just will stop running pick and roll. They'll stop involving Rudy. They'll pull Rudy out of the middle, and they'll just play one-on-one. And we're as good a defensive team in the NBA. The Lakers are the, the next best defensive team. But you, you just can't have three guys on a roster that are capable of guarding those three guys. So at some point they're going to find a mismatch, and they'll go one-on-one. It might be ugly, but it's unstoppable. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, the common assumption is the Lakers and Clippers are going to get rolling and they're probably going to meet in the Western Final, uh, and one of them will come out of the West. That you know, I think Most people would be reluctant to pick the Jazz and Suns to come out of the West. Are you selling either the Lakers or Clippers? Do you think either of them are overhyped and will do what the Clippers did last year? The Clippers went out in the second round. Can that happen to either one of these teams this year? Yeah, I'll sell both of them for the regular season, at least. Um, I actually wouldn't be surprised if the top of the West isn't walking toward a Utah-Phoenix-Denver with a suddenly Clippers and Lakers going, oh, crap, we got to avoid a 4-5 matchup in the first round. Um, I think that's when you're going to see one of those two teams click in, is when they realize they're about to walk to a 4-5 matchup against each other. But I, would, I expect one of them to be in the 4-5 matchup this year. I think Denver's clicked in. They started playing great defense before the break. Uh, Jokic is the MVP, and if Harden doesn't win it, um, the I, so I think that, that's the take there. The Lakers, you know, we'll see today they're announcing more on Anthony Davis. Um, my sources aren't great, but I'm the murmur is a few more weeks on AD. So, you know, I just think it's beginning to have, you know, LeBron's not like Cleveland-Miami-LeBron MVP. He might be the MVP of the league, but he's not like vintage LeBron. And we saw that when AD was out, that wear and tear was real. So I I don't suspect that the Lakers click back in here until the playoffs. And I think they very easily could, you know, run a 17-17 and for the rest of the way. And if AD's out for much longer than two weeks, then it's going to be worse than 17-17. and And if they do that, they're going to be in the fourth or fifth seed. They're going to get Denver or the Clippers in the first round. What do you see the Jazz doing with Eli Silva? I don't really know. Um, so if I'm really honest, I, I don't have any idea. I don't. Um, but the two things he does, you know, he shoots it pretty well. He moves it pretty well, so he fits in. The, the few things that he does that he brings a level of versatility and skill that we don't have that can be helpful is, one, he, he's a legit 6'10". Like, he's really big. 
seven one wings plus wingspan and six ten. So he's a really good defensive rebounder. He's about twenty two percent defensive rebounder. Compare that to like Boyan's like a ten percent defensive rebounding rate guy. So there's a you know, and Royce is our second best defensive rebounder right now. You know, so it gives us a little bit I think defensive rebounding's a little bit of a concern even though our numbers are good there. So he gives us a little bit in that realm. One thing I haven't heard about, but I'm hoping he'll do, is can we take Royce's numbers from 32 to 26 or 27? In the last three years, Royce has shot 41% in the first half from three and 32% the second half from three. And in the last 10 games, Royce is down to 35%. We're asking, nobody is guarding the number one option in the league more than Royce O'Neal. We're asking an awful lot out of Royce. If we can minimize that ask a little bit and keep his legs underneath him, I think that would be great. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of back. You know, we got eight or nine back-to-back here. I think there's going to be a lot of player maintenance days. We already saw it with Luca and KP last night. So I think there's nights where Conley doesn't play. Can we? Can Ilya Sova, while he's not going to take Joe's minutes per se, can he keep Joe off being 34 minutes in those games and down at 26 or 27? Like, I think he's, you know, and then the other thing that he just gives us that we didn't have in our roster is a stretch five. He played about 20% of his minutes a few years ago as a five. So in the circumstance that Quinn needs that as one of his cards in his deck, he now has it and he didn't have it before. So... Because the whole Stockton Malone 82 games put this uniform on, no excuses thing, and that just got beat into everybody's brain and into the DNA of the franchise. But not as an excuse for losing, but as just reality. It's the way it was. We saw the Jazz play back-to-back and then play a third game in four days on the road a couple times, and they were able to grind out a win in Indiana, but they looked beat. And they could not win at New Orleans, and they looked beat. So... With these back-to-backs you speak of, I assume that Conley needs to not play very many, if any, back-to-backs. We already saw him rest at a back-to-back. They want to keep him healthy for the playoffs, so that seems like an obvious thing. And then on the other night, when Conley does play, do they rotate through other players? Because even though they're nine deep, this team, I think it was pretty clear, they looked worn down playing three games in four days on the road, and they can't afford that. Now they got the depth to rest more guys. So we're going to see a lot you know, of that. I don't know if we would ever do this, but I think one of the great things that happened this year is that Joe Ingles missed the game. Now I think it gives you the freedom. I, I would I would love to see on a back-to-back almost a pattern where Joe sits one night and Mike sits the other. And so that Donovan and Joe play point guard one night and Donovan and Mike play point guard the next night. And you don't... For those guys, we need Mike Conley and Joe Ingles healthy and not worn out whenever the season ends. I don't even know when the season ends anymore. Um, May sometime. Um, and, and I'm, they're old. They're 33 years old. Like, that's, like, we can talk about how good a shape Mike's in, and Joe's having his best year of his NBA career by a long shot. He's one of the elite off, like, if Joe Harris is elite offensive, Joe Ingles is, for all the talk of, like, Jordan Clarkson's sixth man, and, like, Joe Ingles is having an unbelievable year. In fact, like, without trying to be controversial, I would probably vote Joe Ingles sixth man over Jordan Clarkson right now. The, he's incredibly efficient offensively. He's playing elite-level point guard. 
He's one of the top, he and Gobert, one of the top ten pick-and-roll combinations in the league. He's remarkable right now. Um, and, and it's, you know, part of it's what he's done the last two weeks. He's been really amazing. He's got to be great. He was not great in the bubble last year. Was that because of the bubble? Was that, be, you know, who knows? But we need him to be this version of Joe Ingles. And, that, and we need Mike Conley to be what we saw to Mike Conley. Those would be my two biggest priorities heading toward May if I were the Jazz, is making sure that those two guys were there to complement Rudy and Donovan in the playoffs. All right, I can buy all that. With that in mind, then, do you think that they go all out in trying to get that number one seed with the possibility of realizing that there's other things that are more important than getting that one seed? I'm not sure there are other things more important than getting that one seed. Or at least the two seed. I'm not sure there are things more important than being one or two. Because of getting an easy first round, 7-8, because to me it looks like, I know early in the year we talked about, hey, be one and avoid the Lakers and Clippers at 2-3. You've already said you may not be able to do that because one of them could be in that 4-5 series. Plus, Phoenix is so good, I just don't think you're ducking anybody in the second round in the West. I think that the West is so good that the extra home game matters. Um, what are we going to, 5,600 here coming up? Fans? Yeah. Like, Could be I don't more know. than that in the playoffs, I, yeah. Right. Like, are we at 13? Are we at 10,000? Are we at 13,000 by then? Like, has everyone gotten our – are we vaccinated? Like, what happens in Texas? It's an open-air stadium, but the idea the Rangers are playing in a full stadium coming up here seems, you know, I'll be honest, seems insane and negligent. But if it works, then it's not insane and negligent. And if we're inside, it does seem different. But, like, where are we? Are we at – you know, what's our number that we're going to be at here by May? And this, you know, pent-up energy, this place, our building's going to be rocking. It's going to be amazing. And maybe L.A.'s not, you know, the. I think the next big conversation in the NBA is what happens to the competitive advantage of having home fans where other teams can't. And I think the money will drive that, but... Ryan Smith will be like telling Adam Silver, you're not limiting my numbers. I need it. I lost so much dang money in the last year. Same thing will be said out of whatever, up Denver or wherever else. And, and so you'll, they'll, 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 LA might not be ready to have fans at that point. So, you know, it wouldn't be any different for the Clippers than it always is. Old joke. But, <laughs> you know, um, thank you, PK. Um, but I, you know, I do think that that's a legitimate, um, you know, I think that one seed matters there, right? Phoenix will be open. So the Suns and Jazz are playing in front of 13, 15. I have no idea. I'm making these numbers up. Um, fans, you know, I, don't, I really don't know. I want to make sure that's really clear. I don't have any idea what the CDC is going to say. I don't have any idea, like, what the safe number is. I don't, you know, but we're trending in that direction, right? Yeah. All right, David, that's a lot of ground to cover right there. Jazz and Rockets tonight. And we will uh, listen to you on the game. 8 o'clock. Why is it a late start? There's no na- no national TV? COVID, COVID, COVID testing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There it is. Thank you, David. See you, guys. All right. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David Locke joining us. Coming up, Chris Kimrani.
staff writer for The Athletic, covers the Utes, but he's written about the Jazz. Spring football starting Monday. The basketball season just ended. We will talk with Chris coming up in 15 minutes right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision, davisvisionmd.com, or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Just had David Locke on. He was very definitive about some things. He thinks the Lakers and Clippers are going to drop in the standings. Certainly one of them will. And he thinks the Lakers are going to be without AD for a while, and that's going to hurt them. And he thinks the Nets are awesome and unguardable and are going to dominate in the second half of the season and be the favorites going into the playoffs. But there was one area he hedged a little bit, PK, and you would like to explore that. Yeah. You know, I I agree with him as far as uh, let's lower the guy's minutes, have him fresh for the postseason, as fresh as can possibly be anyway. That makes complete and total sense. And you have a couple of core guys who are 33 years old in Conley and Ingles. So you don't want to wear them down. And you've got these back-to-backs because the season's condensed and all this stuff. And so the idea of resting them uh, on a rotational basis, they are 7-0 and zero without Conley this year. So that's great. And he's got uh, – I mean, he's not brittle, but you, know, you have to be concerned about leg muscle injuries and whatnot. So I get all that. But then I ask him about, okay, should they go all in on getting the number one seed? And then he said, yes. <laughs> and there's nothing more important than that. Well, that's kind of a uh, what am I looking for? Uh, An oxymoron. It's a conf- there could be a conflict there. I mean, a there's conflict was the word I was looking there, for. Thanks. There's a yeah. chance if somebody else gets hot and they lose enough games that they can't get the one seed, and so they'll rest guys. You know, on the second night of a back-to-back, knowing the one seed's now out of reach. There's also a chance that they will pull away and they will win enough games that they can rest guys and know they're probably going to get the one seed anyway. But to your point, there is also clearly a path where there could be a night that they just have to choose. It's not clear-cut either way, and you're going to have to prioritize one at over another. Yeah, I but think if, you, if you're saying that he's going in on all number one seed, then there isn't uh, a priority. You've already made the priority. You're, you're right. It's already established. But, but if you have a three-game lead and you're in a back-to-back – you're going to think, I can get the one oh, seed yeah, okay. while resting okay. these guys. So yeah, it may well, I, not I come. That. But to your point, it could come down to push to shove where you're tied or you're a game up or a game back, and you really need that game, and it's a back-to-back. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to rest guys, but when it comes to push to shove, will they? I can't answer that. I can't guarantee it. And I have to see when you get there how the team is playing. You know, I've always seen in the first half, I think they probably go ahead and prioritize uh, making sure guys are healthy and not pushing the envelope. Because we've seen them lose a full strength and we have seen them win when they're shorthanded. They won without Donovan. They won without Conley. They won without Ingles. The losses came when they had everybody. So I think they're going to go ahead and rest people. But 
if it's late in the year and push is coming to shove and it's one game where it's tied, I can't sit here right now and guarantee you which way they're going to go. I am 100% certain I do not want to look at a pregame injury report during the playoffs. Coming out on Twitter, they always send those things out, and everybody in the media jumps on them and retweets them. And I don't think anybody wants to sign off right now on Mike Conley hamstring out for a playoff game. That looks to me like a problem. And I know they're undefeated without him, but I really don't want to try that in the playoffs. Mm. Uh, I don't either, but if I can pick one guy to not be there, he's the guy. Well, you got a little depth with he and Joe and Donovan. You got three guys, and you really only need the two on any given night. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I figured. There's a reason why they're seven and zero, and Joe's numbers go way go up. up. Right. When and there's a reason they're so, four and zero when Joe sits. They're plenty capable there, uh, as far as that goes. To me, the resting, I'm concerned about three guys, and that's Joe uh, Conley and Favors. Everybody else, I don't really have a concern. Even Bogdanovich, I don't have a concern. Uh, Mitchell doesn't seem to be tired ever. I don't know, maybe numbers probably show that it is, but he's 24 years old and seems like he's got the world by the tail and he can play and keep playing. But I, but I get the idea of lessening loads within individual games too, like the idea of uh, – Royce O'Neal. He had really good numbers there. Asking so much of him defensively. Well, you just can't ask for everything all the time. So even as he plays, if you can reduce the minutes by five or six per game. Uh, And I think the thing that works in the Jazz favor is I see the Clippers and Lakers resting guys. And I'm not sure I see the Suns resting guys, though. Nope. Outside of Chris Paul, they got a bunch of young pups. Yep. Yeah, I don't. A couple guys, Crowder and Sarge are a little older, but the the, the new the rest of those guys are. I don't even know they're twenty five years old. All right, DJ PK, we got to take a break. Chris Camrani, staff writer for the Athletic, wrote a big piece on the Jazz, and Quinn Snyder covers the Utes and Utah football and spring football starting Monday. And we can ask about basketball as well with the season done. We've had the question today, you know, what what should Mark Harlan do with Larry Kristoviak in the basketball program? We'll run all that by Chris. Coming up, stay with us. DJ PK and Chris Camrani joining as staff writer for The Athletic, covering the Utes and then other things that interest him around the state of Utah. But Utah football, the primary focus. Chris, good morning. Good morning, guys. Oh, come on, Chris. Where's the energy? Come on, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to start off by saying I thought you guys had forgotten about me, but I'm glad I haven't been forgotten yet. Oh, I was texting you during a radio <laughs> appearance last week. You know I haven't forgotten about you. Where, when do you call me? I think you've forgotten about me. You've moved on. You're national. You're big time now. You don't need to talk to me. I know. I've forgotten about you. <laughs> I know, P- I know PK, PK hasn't forgiven me for not getting a haircut years ago. So until that day comes... <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, no, that, probably that's your be calling card in the now. Doghouse. <laughs> no, no, I, that's your calling card. I think you got to stay with it. That's that's giving you your separation. Well, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'll take it. So we want to jump in here and talk a little Utah football with you. There's plenty of stuff I'd like to talk to you about, but that's the that's the thing you devote the most energy and attention to. It's the primary reason. Uh, the Athletic has you, and it's what they want you writing about. And just two hours ago, you posted a story. The headline is, Utah prepares for spring practice. The question, again, is about the starting quarterback. 
Everybody wants to know about the starting quarterback, and PK will tell anybody who will listen that it's going to be Charlie Brewer. And I was talking to somebody who, you know, has a little info on the youth program. It's like, well, of course it's going to be Charlie Brewer. What are you, stupid? <laughs> so why are we discussing who this is going to be? Because everybody who seems to have any inside info is like, obviously it's Charlie Brewer. What are you thinking? You know what? Uh, conventional wisdom points to that, but I'm going to snap a curveball, and I'm going to say that Jaquindon Jackson has a shot at this thing. Um, and I'm just saying that based on recent history of quarterback battles at the University of Utah. Um, I know it's only in, within the last five years, but looking at 2017 when Tyler Huntley beat out uh, a senior captain in Troy Williams, and then going back to last year, Cam Rising beating out uh, a senior captain in Jake Bentley. I'm not saying... Uh, the third time is going to be an underclassman charm necessarily, but it's an interesting place to be guys, because you, you guys talk about the existence of the transfer portal pretty much every day on your show and (laughs) rightfully so. But here's the thing, like if Jaquindon Jackson and Charlie Brewer are theoretically one, two this spring with, with cam rising recovering and the true freshman, Peter Costelli, probably third in the pack. If, if you're Andy Ludwig, if you're Kyle Whittingham, do you really go all in on a senior grad transfer who only has one year left? Or if the separation isn't that substantial, do you go with the guy who has as many as four years to play, knowing that here's a guy who, while he doesn't have game reps, he doesn't have the 10,000 career uh, total yards of offense that Charlie Brewer had at Baylor Here's a guy who was at one point the number three dual threat quarterback in the country and a guy who is, you know, by all intents and purposes, does everything that Andy Ludwig wants to do from a quarterback scheme standpoint, meaning he can throw the ball and he's a threat in the rushing attack. I I understand that people assume that Charlie Brewer is the guy, but I think a lot of us assumed last year that Jake Bentley was the guy. All right, Chris, I need you for an hour now that you brought all that stuff up. <laughs> you just, you just, my brain was just on fire when you were saying all these things because all of us are pretty close to the program. There's some stuff I'm going to throw at you to get your response, and it's a, a in favor of what you're saying, and it's also against what you're saying, and I'll start with in favor. One thing I've learned is Kyle loves running quarterbacks because he's a defensive guy and he's always felt that mobile quarterbacks are the toughest for him to defend. And let's face it, we know that's the way he approaches everything from the football perspective. So that's in your favor. Now, against your favor is Kyle turned 62 this year. I don't think he's going to be coaching uh, at 67, 68 years of age. So he is in a win-now mentality. And then with this kid Brewer, if Brewer helps him win this year, because there's no reason why they don't contend again this year. And they've been right there. Throw out last year. Last year was just not even mm-hmm. worth discussing as far as a, a race for the South and for the conference. But the other two years, obviously, they were right there. Washington, and we know all that happened, so I don't need to go over that stuff. So in against it is Kyle's got a win-now mentality because he's not building a program. He's trying to win now. So those are my two thoughts there. Respond to that. 
So uh, regarding, you know, the win now mentality, I understand that. Um, and you know what? It's, it's really weird, guys, because what transpired at Utah the last five years is it's gone against pretty much everything that uh, runs to reason of, of what you would go with. Like the fact that Troy Taylor went with Tyler Huntley over Troy Williams, that really never happens. And the fact that it happened again a few years later, even under a different offensive coordinator, just goes to show that Utah isn't afraid to go with the quarterback that they believe has the most upside and who can help them win now. Now, the, the win now thing is a little tricky because you throw in a guy like Charlie Brewer who comes to Utah who's thrown for, I think, 9,700 yards in four years in the Big 12, um, you know, rushed for another three or 400 yards. So Charlie Brewer, in his own right, is a, is a dual-threat quarterback, too, in a sense. But Charlie Brewer also comes to Utah with a, a recent history of, of some injuries, some head injuries, and we know how, you know, sticky those types of injuries can be short-term and long-term. So I, I understand why Utah went out and got Charlie Brewer because of his ability, um, you know, as a quarterback. But I don't know, guys. I just, I just think, like, if the separation isn't that substantial, I could definitely see a situation where where Andy and Kyle decide to roll with, you know, somebody else. And that's not, that's not a slight on Charlie. I, I mean, we're just talking hypotheticals here. The other thing we also have to take into account is, is this offense might be more run heavy than it's been even in recent years with the exodus of wide receivers at the program. Utah has Britton Covey who does everything for him and, and Solomon Enos who, you know, in, in theory is a, a big bodied receiver who can go up and, you know, make the difficult catches. But after that, Guys, I mean, there's just not much there. You have Jalen Dixon coming back, but he took a year off. We don't know what he looks like physically. And then after that, it's a bunch of, you know, former walk-ons and scout team guys. Okay. So it, it, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, it, it's just the, the, the layers to this conversation, I think, go way beyond who the starting quarterback is going to be because the personnel around whoever QB1 is going to be is going to necessitate that. Sure, but it could be, and I don't. I got one more quarterback question before we get to the receiver group. So, because you bring up excellent points there, and we're going to get to that. But with quarterbacks, more and more, as interested as I am in the starter, when we get in these situations, and BYU is basically in the same situation uh, this year, uh, I'm really interested in who the second quarterback is because the first quarterback isn't making it through the season very often. I mean, it was just two years ago, BYU played three quarterbacks. Utah, we had this big quarterback competition, and we were surprised by who won it. And then after 14 snaps, there's an injury, so it doesn't matter who won it. Yeah. Who is going to be number two? Because number two ought to really feel like they're 1A, and whether it's uh, Troy Williams, who got, I think, two or three starts his senior year, but he got the start against USC at the Coliseum, which for we, if you're not an LA kid, you just you, you can't underestimate how important that was, right? If it was one game he wanted to start, it wasn't Utah BYU, it was Utah USC, and he got to start it. So. Whether you're getting the whole season or you're getting three or four key games along the way, number two is really 1A. So can you tell us who's going to be in that group? I mean, is Cam Rising, who was the starter, seriously going to end up number three on the depth chart? Well, I, listen, every possible scenario that Utah could face from a quarterback battle, it, it, it has. It has a former starting quarterback who suffered a season-ending injury who is – 
undergoing a, a lengthy recovery process. That's one. You have a four-star true freshman recruit who was recruited by the likes of Oregon, Michigan State, LSU. He's on the roster. You have a, a, a four-star transfer kid who is at Texas, who was at one point, as I mentioned, the number three rated dual quarterback in the country. And then you have a, a grad transfer senior who comes to Utah with over 10,000 yards of total offense after four years as a starter in the Big 12. We, I know, like, the, the question is always going to be quarterback here, but, like, this is, this is on another level of, of, what, of what Kyle and Andy are facing in terms of how they settle this thing out and, and what the, uh, how the dominoes fall. I, I do think in terms of, like, who is number two, it depends on how Cam, uh, you know, recovers from his surgery and his rehab. I know Kyle said that he wants to have Cam get a legit shot in the fall if he's able to recover and get there. And I understand that. Um, but it, if we're operating in the scenario that Cam isn't 100% by the fall, I think you go in thinking that Jaquindon Jackson and Peter Costelli are kind of uh, in the running for that number two spot because essentially they both have the same amount of eligibility based on last year with Jaquindon Jackson's true freshman year not counting towards his eligibility. Um, but again, like it, it, everything is so up in the air because you have all of these different you know, variants of, of – of quarterbacks and you're, you could potentially have four starting caliber guys come fall. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. The guy holiday situation was something that caught me by surprise. And uh, DJ and I did a little research. It's a little more understandable now. What is your take? Well, you know what guys, when it comes to stuff like this, I'm always going to, rely on the person who was affected by it themselves the most. And uh, when you guys had Guy on last week, I think Guy spoke his truth and he was very forthcoming and transparent. And for, for anybody who knows Guy Holiday, you wouldn't expect anything less. Um, but it was really, you know, intriguing to hear him talk about the, the mental and physical toll that the last few years have taken on him. Um, I didn't see it coming either, but listen, sometimes changes are warranted, and, and Guy said that himself. And the reality is um, maybe it was a confluence of things coming to a head at one time, but you know, losing a guy like Brian Thompson is, to ASU is one thing, and I, I understand the, the Samson Nakua departure. There were some other things, you know, family-related reasons that he and Puka ended up back in Provo together. I understand that. But to have two guys who are, in theory, two of your top four receivers – bounce a few weeks before spring ball that does not bode well for the for the trajectory of the position group and i just think those were kind of the two uh last straws and, and kyle and you know his staff felt like they needed to make a change pk has often uh, said that there are uh, people with uh, good knowledge of the program who've wanted to go stanford double tight ends and under one head coach, but multiple offensive coordinators, although we've seen a taste of that at times, we've never seen a really steady diet of it the way Stanford does. But given everything you just said about the receiver position, and they got one or two guys maybe they can count on, but they do seem to have a group of tight ends that is pretty good, do you think it's going to look a little different? Power run game, two tight ends, linebackers and strong safeties, thinking this guy's coming to block me and knock my head off again, and all of a sudden they dip a shoulder and they run right by him, and it's a big play down the seam. Is it going to look different? you think we're going to get a lot of double tight ends this year? I think there's a legit argument to be said there, especially considering how deep the tight end room is uh, with everybody coming back from last year's group. 
And um, I, I think the other thing that we haven't even touched on is, is, is every Utah offense will be predicated on the run game and with the tragedy surrounding Ty Jordan. I just don't think people – I mean, some fans might understand, but for those who watched Ty Jordan last year, like this was as close to as an it guy – that Utah had from an offensive perspective in a very, very long time. I know Zach Moss is the, the best running back in school history, but just watching the way Ty Jordan played football as a true freshman, it was different. And I think you guys would probably agree with me on that standpoint. And to have that sort of tragedy hit your program and lose a guy like that and then have to replace him in such a short amount of time and to do so with two uh, you know, transfer portal guys I think the offense is just going to look remarkably different this year. And that, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. In theory, you have a three-headed monster at the running back position with, you know, TJ Pledger the fourth and Chris Curry and Makai Bernard. But, DJ, to your point, I, I think the strength of this offense, probably from a skill position standpoint, is, is the tight end right now. And we, we saw what Brand Keithy can do. I think Cole Fotheringham is a very good secondary option as a tight end. And, and maybe Utah just needs to go full Stanford this year. We won't be able to see what spring ball, spring ball looks like, but it wouldn't surprise me if we get to fall, and that's the look of this team. Yeah, that's an interesting concept because Kyle just – he approaches offense from a defense's perspective and what he feels is the most difficult to defend. But you look at the personnel – and it might scream that this might be the most traditional offense that they've had in years yeah. with all the things that you just listed. So um, it's going to be so fascinating to see how it develops here because this is not, this is not a development year. This is a year to win. There's no reason why they don't win. And maybe they don't win the South, but there's a, they have every shot. So I don't know necessarily where I'm going with a question. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what they're what they're going to do. And I feel like I know you well enough that I don't have to interview you. No, that well, I can just I, talk with you. Well, I think what you were getting at, uh, PK, is that the development of the defense last year expedited this this roster's timeline, and, and I think the fact that that young defense was so good last year in such a short amount of time that it proved that with a competent offense in 2021, right. this, team, this team absolutely has a chance to compete for the South. I, I know right. the defense maybe takes a few licks. Uh, you know, l- losing Nate Ritchie and Sione Fotu to, to missions is going to hurt. I thought those two guys were phenomenal true freshman players as starters. Um, but you know what? I mean, I think we all just have to finally understand that until it happens, you just have to rely on Utah's defense always being legit. Until there's a year where Utah's defense can't do anything well, you just have to understand that Utah is going to always have that as its calling card. So, to your point, PK, I just think the, the, based on the abilities of that defense last year, it expedited the timeline of, of what this quote-unquote rebuild was going to be after losing all of that talent in 2019. Uh, Chris, you have a story up on The Athletic, and you came on the big show and talked about it, but you did a kind of a dive into Quinn Snyder's background. He's not a guy who goes into that a lot. He's a look-forward guy, not look-back guy. And some of that stuff is for a national audience, and we know it, 
but also you're, you're pretty good at digging to find stuff that interests you that's new to you. Give me one thing you learned about Quinn Snyder, one perspective you have now that you didn't before you started diving in on that story. Well, for me, the, the takeaway was that 12 years later, a bunch of guys who got to know Quinn Snyder over a weekend still talk about him glowingly and, and talk about their effect he had on their playing careers. Um, you know, Quinn was the coach of the 2009 D-League All-Star game back in uh, 09 when it was at the Phoenix Convention Center, which is like two blocks from where the Suns play. It's a very rinky-dink setup at the time. The D-League was still very young. And, uh, you know, while Nate Robinson is jumping over Dwight Howard and winning dunk contests, there's Quinn Snyder a couple of blocks away trying to figure out what his path is going to be from a coaching perspective. Everybody knows Quinn's story and, you know, how he got to the Jazz. But my takeaway ultimately was it was interesting to, to find out that Quinn – had an audible in terms of how he wanted those old Austin teams to play. And it, that audible back then, 12 years ago, was essentially laid the groundwork for how this Jazz team plays today. Quinn went to Greg Popovich. He went to R.C. Buford and said, listen, guys, we don't have the personnel to run the Spurs motion offense. I understand that that got you four championships. But this team that we have now needs to be predicated on space and shooting the three. And talking to Quinn last week and then talking to some other guys that have been around him over the years, they say that watching the Jazz play now is absolutely based on and, and is indicative of, of what those old Austin Spurs team or Austin Toros teams played like. So that, that was really cool to hear and see. Chris, we're out of time. We could talk to you for another half hour. There's plenty of ground to cover. We'll have to have you back. I will call you daily since you don't ever think I've forgotten about you. I'm always I'm always here, guys. I know you guys just have bigger fish to fry, but I'm always here if you need me. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Thanks Chris. All right, there's Chris Camerati, DJ and PK. We had to take a break. We're way late. We like talking to Chris, so we just ignore Yach when he said, you were supposed to break five minutes ago. It's true. We were, but we like talking to Chris. definitely not the latest you've ever broken. It's not a record, but it's also way past time. And uh, and we had like 47 more questions for Chris, so we'll have to get him back on. That means we have him back on, yeah. DJ and PK coming up next. Everything you missed in this show, stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Sam, do you have a favorite for Coach of the Year? The minute you said Coach of the Year, you know, my brain went straight to Quinn, so I think that's probably pretty telling. Kids get consideration for sure, but some of their young guys have progressed, and I'm not trying to say that they don't have a foundation at all, but there's part of me that feels like the Knicks have kind of gone all in on having Julius Randle kind of get loose and then you know playing Derrick Rose big minutes and, and leaning into some bets that get you over the top. To me, it's not in the same ballpark is what Utah has done. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Daniels across the timeline. Puts up a deep three. Missed it. Hoyes win. 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 
PK, remember when you had vinyl back in the day? Was that a skip? What was going on there? Was there a scratch? No, that is that unedited. Was old school. It's like some album from the 50s, and that your was, parents had it and passed yeah. it down to you. 22 times Hoyas win. Uh, was that because it was their 22nd win of the year? year? No, it's because of the upset. They beat, um, who they take down? Vill- Villanova. It did beat Villanova. You are correct. The Hoyas did win. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. 22 times. Man, you scratched my Beatles album. <laughs> it did remind me of uh, when it would do that there for a little bit. Now that's uh, although uh, Jake Scott does some vinyl, so vinyl's still out there. Apparently, oh. there's somewhat of a some the collectors. Some, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some. I don't know where they are. Uh, <laughs> I've got some around here, but I think that's probably excessive. <laughs> probably, possibly. I could have quit at ten. That would have been good. I mean, it's a conference tournament non-title game win. Quarterfinal, right? So, so Virginia's now out. They had a COVID test, right? So Georgia Tech advances to the yep. final. That's the second one. Duke obviously stepped aside yesterday. It's going to be interesting to see how Duke does because historically when these coaches just won't quit, it usually ends far worse than when they had it going on. And the reason why they're able to stay so long is because they did have it going on. But they, it doesn't seem like they end on a high note. You know what I mean? Not usually. You're thinking Florida State football right now, aren't you? There's any number of examples. I mean, Bruce Bochy with the Giants. You know, it's obviously started to slip. And they were at such a high level that it was – going to slip. Yeah, somehow it's worse with the colleges because with the pros, sometimes you can write it off to, well, the roster aged, and yeah, you know, they milked it all they could, and now it's time to, to well, rebuild. It's like what the Rockets are doing now. But in, this, is what the, yeah. this is what should happen to the right, Rockets. Right, but in college, if you've yeah. got one of those programs, well, you just keep bringing in the recruits and you just right. keep it going. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no rebuild. The only, the only bad year Duke had in the 90s was because Coach Gad had back surgery and didn't sick. coach one year. Yeah, he was out. Yeah. Uh, other yeah, college great. basketball, the Utah State, slow start. Then they dominated UNLV with a 50-point second half, and they win 74-53, so they're playing Colorado State tonight. High stakes, PK, late-night game, 10 o'clock. Remind you of the big Mondays back in the day in the Mountain West? Well, actually, uh, not just that, but this conference tournament always had those games. The Van Horn two games. Mm-hmm. The New Mexico uh, game had, ended at midnight, didn't it? I believe it? they were both. Yeah. All big Mondays. Yeah, and the prior game, I think it was SMU, and the tip-in, Andre threw it up there and, and Keith tipped it in. I think that bec- both of those games were that. And the Pac-12 has that time slot, too. So it's just a question of if you get in that draw. And then they can – the Cougars always play 10 o'clock on a Monday. <laughs> top seed gets, they always, the, yeah, the, top seed that, gets the early they, game, and that's Gonzaga's. Well, I, I, top seed doesn't necessarily get the early game. It's what the game that TV dictates, and they figure Gonzaga is going to slaughter their team, <laughs> so have a game that's going to be more competitive. And obviously, the BYU Pepperdine game went into OT. Thanks a whole freaking lot going to bed at one o'clock. So, <laughs> uh, as I said, it, that ain't it. <laughs> Ten p.m. tips ain't it. 
Uh, the Pac-12 yeah, fourth yeah. game got pushed late because the second game went overtime, and then the Utes were the third game, and it went double overtime as UCLA got they knocked out by Oregon State. No T. Yeah, that was way too late. Uh, Utah yeah, loses. This in is d- fine. Uh, Friday night, it's fine to see the Aggies. They don't have to get up tomorrow. Right. Uh, so we spent a lot of time on Larry Kristoviak. So we got a lot of people uh, tweeting in, and largely the people who tweeted in think he's had a run, and that's good enough. There's one big group there, and it's time for a change. There's another group that might be ready for a change, but thinks either the finances aren't there or the optics aren't there, even if the money is. So they think he gets another year. He made an impassioned uh, uh, post-game, I don't know, speech or answer to a question, but you know, he thinks... Statement. Statement, yes. Uh, the, the, the team's going to be back, and why should I try to recapture this when Yox got it. I just made it clear in the locker room. Would love to have everybody back coaching this group again. We can lace it all up. Everybody can come back. Got a couple additions to the roster. You know, I remain optimistic. Guys can work on their basketball game, but we can come back as a brotherhood and hopefully play in front of fans. I have no questions in my mind, contrary to a lot of the noise, that this is a program that is on the rise. We've got uh, a number of young players that are playing games. We got guys that want to get in the weight room. Got a lot of high character people so I have no reason to to believe otherwise so there's Larry now the question is will everyone be back Timmy Allen sampled the NBA draft last year and frequently when someone samples the draft it means you've only got him for one more year he could come back he's a junior and the clock doesn't move the eligibility clock doesn't move so he could come back for two more years if he wants I don't think anyone wants to bet on that Uh, the question right now is will he come back for one Plummer's a senior Will he come back? And then you brought up the the point about, which I think is spot on, that there are good young players uh, from foreign countries and they can go closer to home, start their pro career, start making money, and start the trajectory of that career. So do they want to come back? And then you just have the, hey, kids transfer in the NCAAs these days. And, you know, it's it's a— you know, it's a it's a red red check mark. You know, like you get on the old test when you're getting graded in school. It's a red check mark on Larry's resume at Utah. How many guys have transferred to other schools? But you can't get upset about every single person who transfers because, to a certain degree, that's life now. Now, the problem is he's been losing multiple guys out of the core of what we thought was going to be next year's team. So, is the core of this team really coming back? Is the first question. And you think the answer is probably yes, and that he needs another year because of that. Okay, yeah, I agree. I agree with what you just said because you're you're just. I'm recapping what you said. That's it in a nutshell. (laughs) Is there anything you want to add to that or underline? Because I think what happens is nothing happens in a bubble. You know, you've largely said set the money aside. The NBA Finals did. Thank you, and the whole playoffs did, (laughs) and. There is this middle ground that could work in Larry's favor here where Mark Harlan knows he can make a change. It won't look good, and it'll take some blowback for it. Chris Hill has always he's, he's been very clear both privately and publicly about the blowback he's taken for multiple coaching changes, uh, whether it was Jack Letty or, uh, or uh, well, he didn't take any for Boylan, well, I don't think. The big one was McBride. McBride was the biggest one, uh, but there was still some for other changes. So, oh, he t- and potentially for Kyle on that thing, a right? Few years back. Yeah, yes, that was probably the second biggest one where uh Kalani left and the assistants only got one year, and yeah, so there was 
The, there was then, friction there. And then Kyle. There was big time friction. Yes. And then Kyle won and two words, two words, bull eligible. <laughs> and so all of that, you know, all that went away. I'm just going to cut that one. And you like that, that one better? <laughs> the original is a classic. Hey, well, find the original. I know you got a new computer. And it's hard. Find the original. We want to hear that again. Any reason to hear that is, is, is worth it. So I can't see the middle ground here where he says, yeah, I could do it. And I, I kind of want to do it. But you know what? I'm going to have to take a lot of heat about the money. And he does have a young core. And assuming that Mark reaches out to these players and he knows that, if not all, at least the vast majority of them are coming back and there is a good core there, I can see him saying, yeah, well, I wouldn't do this any other time. Uh, you know, his rep coming from South Florida is that Mark made coaching changes and he was not shy about it. And I heard about that within a couple days of him being hired, and you probably did too. And I went and looked it up to see if people were telling me the truth, and they were. He changed a lot of coaches. Olympic sports too, not just wow. to our profile. So yeah, he's not, he's not shy at doing that, but in this circumstance, it's definitely different because of the size of the buyout, because of the pandemic and the financial situation. And Larry is likable. He's got that going for him. Two words. Two words. Ball eligible. That was awesome. So if you want the, the Utes to win, somebody needs to tell Kyle that he sucks and he's not going to win very much this year. <laughs> I can do that. First <laughs> question, Monday morning, Kyle, I got two things. Number one, you suck and you're not going to win very much this year. Why are you Number still two, coaching? You're I want... not that good. <laughs> <laughs> the game has passed you by. I just wanted to look on his face when you asked that question. <laughs> BYU fans are like, no, we had a chance. Don't do that. You're making this harder. Oh, I got the uh, I got the golf channel on. I was telling Yach because they're playing the players down yeah. uh, by Jacksonville, and so they they do updates and they they're 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 from the course there, uh-huh. and you know they, they'll start here with live coverage in about a half hour. Well, if you turn it on right now, there's a guy interviewing a certain celebrity who is new to Jacksonville, and we're going to see how he's going to Urban do Meyer! His name is Urban Meyer. <laughs> Urban Meyer just sat down. I can't even see it, and I knew good. who you were talking about. <laughs> Urban, why is Urban there? Because Urban is recruiting. Because the dads and the high school coaches of players might be watching this, and he's talking to them. He never... He's not going to college, though. He never stops. Yeah. He's talking about golf. Got a picture of him uh, swinging yeah. a club. So, uh, getting back to Larry, to me, if there are a couple of guys that leave the program and they're not Plumber because he's been there and he he's a senior, uh, but if there are a couple of guys, then I'm, I might I might think about it seriously if they don't come back. Well, what about Allen? I mean, it's no if a guy of no, his of talent course. leaves after three years, that's nothing the Allen. coach needs to be castigated for. Because he's at a point where that's a normal nah, thing nah, to do. No, 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 no. But you, that's for the NBA. Suppose he goes to play someplace else. Oh, if he goes to play somebody else. Yeah, if he transfers to go play somewhere else. No, I'm thinking that he he stuck his toe in the NBA waters last year. And often that means if you don't go then, you're going the next year. Well, if you want to get paid then and, he, and you're not quite ready for the NBA, you just go to Arizona. hey <laughs> Sun Devil taking a shot. All right. A yep. shot? Yeah, Sun Devil taking a shot. A shot? A justified, well-earned shot. I completely <laughs> agree. Got people caught on wiretaps. We got other coaches telling us stuff. I totally agree, but it's a shot nonetheless. That's like saying don't don't go play 
football in Arizona at Tempe because it's too hot in the summer. Is that a shot? <laughs> Piling on. I mean, that's just a fact. Well, we talked jazz with David Locke this morning, and David is of the theory that the Brooklyn Nets are about to go on an awesome run that they simply cannot be defended, cannot be guarded, and they are going to outscore people, that it is going to be a sight to behold. He also thinks the Lakers and Clippers are going to have some problems, and one of them is going to end up in a 4-5 series. He thinks Denver is coming and can get a top-four spot. Uh, Denver has climbed out of that 8-9 region that they were bouncing around in, uh, and they've caught Portland now with Portland losing to Phoenix last night. So... Look out for the Nuggets, and there will be no hiding. There will be no easy path in the second round of the Western Western Conference playoffs. You're going to have a – it's going to be a hard matchup. It looks like there's at least five, maybe six really good teams. So even if somebody is injured and drops like, drops like a rock through the standings here over the last 20 or 30 games, there'll still be four or five good teams. The harder the better if you advance. I think that just makes you, makes you tougher. Maybe the Lakers don't need it, but I think everybody else needs it. Even the Clippers, I think they need it because they really haven't proven anything. I mean, last year they blew the lead. And so in the Jazz, they haven't proven anything in the postseason. Suns obviously haven't. Denver, mm, a little bit, but no. So I think that uh, if you get a tough second-round matchup and you win it, that should give you a lot of confidence going into the conference finals. And you'll need it because the other guys will have had a tough second-round matchup. And they will have won it. So. The only proven commodity in the postseason right now in the West, in my mind, is LeBron James. Right. And if he doesn't have a team around him, then that doesn't matter. So uh, we got to watch to see. Apparently, um, you, can, you can reach out to your Lakers sources, PK. But uh, David thinks that uh, Anthony Davis is going to – they're going to get to this date. It's coming up where they said they'd reevaluate him and that they're going to reevaluate him. He's going to be out a while longer. I told you that like three weeks ago. And they went 3-7 and seven without him. Yeah, well, we're recapping today's show. You want to recap three weeks ago's show? How much longer no. do you think he's going to be out? Is it another two weeks, another four weeks? Do you got an idea? At, at this point, I don't think we're seeing him until April. I think they bring him back. Now that's health permitting. They bring him back to get his feet under him for, for the, the postseason. So if that's he comes what, back, that's in, what I've always thought. Early to mid April means he'll have four to six weeks to get ready for the playoffs. Right, and that should be plenty of time. Right. So there is absolutely no sense of urgency to bring him back, unlike the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady, who has agreed on a four-year contract extension. Okay, now. Is this like Lavelle getting the five-year deal? He's not playing to the end of a four-year deal, right? Freaking Tom Brady, man. (laughs) 47-year-old Tom Brady looked at George Bland and said, I'm going to top you, old man. I'm going to top you. Uh, He's paying the price, and he's been paying the price. The diet is never wavering. I, I say, yeah, I'm going to hit it hard today. And by 2 o'clock, I'm going to hit it hard tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hitting it hard. Hey, PK, look at those nachos. Yeah. I'm hitting it hard tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's paid the price to be in the position he's in. He's earned that right to, to not have the doubt. So I don't know. I agree with you at 46-47. Come on. Right. But Nolan Ryan was throwing gas at 45. <laughs> so who's to say? Yeah. Uh, and the oldest quarterback, I think, uh, I think Blanda was winning games at 45 or 46. Now, he was coming in as a backup. He wasn't playing every week. 
But, you know, he was throwing the ball down the field, avoiding the rush, winning games. So, But I don't think there's anything else to compare it to. Brady's that, – that's it. That's the last thing. And Brady's doing it every week, and that's a different deal. Move saves the Bucks $19 million against the cap. So – and there's an additional avoidable years there to defray the cost. So it's all structured, and we'll see where it goes. The Bucks had been almost $8 million over the salary cap. So there you go. They're the champs. They're defending champs. I think we're all ready for Tampa Bay and Kansas City in the Super Bowl next year, although Kansas City released both offensive tackles. Eric Fisher, who tore his Achilles in the AFC title game, and Mitchell Schwartz, who had a back injury, and that saves them $18 million under the cap as Andy Reid tries to get the Chiefs going again. All right, DJ and PK, coming up next, your feedback. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for your feedback. All the stuff. All the stuff. You've been, well, and I can't because you've been tweeting too much today. Man, the passion for Utah basketball. And PK, our show has evolved here over the last five years. We are primarily about the Jazz and Utah and BYU football. And there was a time when we talked a lot of college basketball. And we've talked a little more BYU basketball the last couple of years, right? As Mark Pope has brought in an infusion of energy and more wins and NCAA yeah. tournament quality teams. Uh, but, man, you fans, we have so many tweets now. It is clear they are out there. They are lurking. They are out there. They are out there and they're lurking and they're waiting. They're waiting for something they're to frustrated. rally around. Oh, they are, they're absolutely frustrated, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what do you think should happen with Larry now? And Julie said, you know, should he come back? Uh, the double overtime game and a three-game win streak and then a double overtime loss to a USC team that, that could easily end up being a Sweet 16 team. Now, they may check out early. The NCAA tournament's yeah. crazy and we don't know the matchups. But if they're in the Sweet 16, they've got NBA, future NBA talent, and nobody's shocked by that. And Julie says, um, no, look at his overall track record and how freaking much he's getting paid. The salary yeah, really we does. We really talk about that. The salary really does pay, play into this. It's it's really irritated people. It's pissed people off. We talked about the buyout, mm-hmm. but the actual salary that he's receiving now, you're not getting your return. I don't. I I'm I'm in Larry's camp, but I can't argue that you're not getting the return on the amount of money that he's getting annually now. Forget about the buyout. I'm talking about the the actual salary. So I understand that completely. The real wild card here that we haven't talked about that um, I only have a little bit of awareness about and I probably won't have more, I don't know, maybe I could, um, you know, is that what's at the root of all these kids transferring? And if that has been fixed, as much as it's a talent coming back, let's assume that normal stuff happens, right? A senior decides to move on and they lose Plummer. And a junior who's talented decides to go to the draft and maybe ends up in the G League or whatever. But, it, you know, it's not unusual, right? Now you've, you've lost two guys who you're really counting on for 30 to, 30 to 40 points in any given game. That's a big hit. Correct. But the problem with kids leaving yes. the program has been the kids who shouldn't be leaving the program who go and play at other schools. And I think that Dave goes Gosh, back to, year. yes, I think that goes back to you're supposed to have on the, the standard thought on college coaches is that you have a staff where it's good cop, bad cop. You have a guy who kicks butt, takes names, yells profanities across the court when he sees defensive rotations being slacked off on, whether it's in a game or he's just he's the bad cop. And you have a good cop over here who can pat guys on the back, put his arm around the shoulder when he needs to. And... From what I've heard, there's been too much bad cop, bad cop. 
and there hasn't been that balance on the youth staff, and that's why a lot of kids have left. Now, has Larry fixed that over the last year or two? Introspection, whether it's about your coaching, you know, your, your, your personality, the way you set goals and communicate, whatever that is. If Mark Harlan thinks that's been fixed, then he doesn't really have to address the 45 and 42 record over the last three years. Because I think that goes back to the root problem that's led to underachieving and too many losses. Has that been fixed? And I, don't, I can't sit here and answer that right now. Maybe you can. But I think that's a critical question for Mark to answer if he's thinking about bringing Larry back. If he's already decided, never mind, then never mind. And if he's already been told, don't do the money, even if we could afford it, it's such a bad look, we're not doing it. And if his bosses have told him that, in those two cases, the decision's already made one way or the other. But if they're in that gray area and they're thinking about bringing it back, that to me, that is the one question that has to be answered. And all the stuff I told you about, the history of how they've handled other coaches and the wins and losses, the thing I would want to know is the answer to that question. Are we past the bad cop, bad cop, and you wearing out guys and them transferring? And why are we? Don't just All right, tell I'll me, talk to you Monday. Don't just tell me why we're past it. Tell me what you've done to really change that. Because I think that's, that is probably I'll the I'll talk to you Monday, this. bad cop. All right, there it is. I'll see you Monday, bad cop. All right. <laughs> that's a reference to in radio, you're supposed to run a show, have two guys, and one's a good cop and one's a bad cop. In case you were wondering what PK was doing there. We'll be back on the air Monday morning, bad cop. See you, good cop. DJ PK. Thank you. <laughs> good cop and bad cop. And Yock here to make sure we stay on time. You failed again, Yock. We've stolen time from Scotty and Hans. So coming up next, we'll see you Monday morning, 6 to 10 on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.